Good evening and welcome to El Oso Fumar Takes. This is our 170th take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studios of Euless, Texas. I'm your host, Barry Plissy, as always, and I'm so proud, so pleased, and so privileged to be with you all tonight. This is going to be a fantastic show, one of those shows that always will commit to memory, and I have a feeling we'll have a few chuckles tonight. So without further ado, before we get to grand introductions of our guest of honor tonight, we'll be introducing him in just a moment. We do have to thank the people that make this show possible. And that, of course, is our sponsors. Tonight's show is sponsored by Drew Estate. This year marks the 25th anniversary of Drew Estate and the rebirth of Cigars Movement. To celebrate this momentous occasion, the company is inviting you, yes, you, the consumers, retailers, cigar media, well, everybody on planet Earth, actually, to be its part of its epic blowout birthday bash entitled DE25. DE25 will be held on September 25th at the South Fork Ranch in Parker, Texas, just a stone's throw away. Well, a few stones throw not too far from my house right now here in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. The DE25 celebration will include the unveiling of Drew Estate's newest brands with a first-to-experience approach for consumers and trade partners alike. Buy your tickets today at drewestate.com slash DE25. And tonight's show is also sponsored by Oveja Negra Brands, four unique companies to who share a passion to provide innovative cigars for the next generation of cigar enthusiasts. Black Label Trading Company, Black Work Studio, Disson, and Emilio are combining premium tobacco with an artisanal touch. Oveja Negra, where art and tobacco collide. Join the flock and visit ovejanegracigars.com to learn more. And welcome. Without further ado, for our 170th take, we welcome our guest of honor this evening, sponsored by United Cigars. Smoke one today. Start living united. Mr. Jared Trudeau of Christoph Cigars. Jared, how are we doing tonight? What's up, dog? How are you? Oh, I am living the dream. I am I am much better now that we've gotten that all out of the way. So yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You got that out of your system. Yeah, got that out of my system. I'm about to light up a cigar. I'm about to talk to you. I mean, li life couldn't be better. I'm I'm really excited. N bedtime tonight with the kids was a little bit of a nightmare, but I'm here now. It's okay. So we yeah, saw. We got through most. it. <laughs> So uh, I'm I'm super I'm super excited to sit down with you, uh, Jared. I, I, if, if you can believe it or not, you were you were a guest. So this is Jared's second um, stint here on LS from our takes. You were part of take number forty six. Oh wow, that was a long time ago, huh? Yeah, yeah. I I, I couldn't believe it myself. I thought um, I thought for sure you were a little bit later, and uh, I was like, oh, it's probably been about a hundred takes since since i had you on and then i i realized i was like oh my gosh he was you were a number you were number 46 it was crazy absolutely oh crazy. wow that's that's very early and you do these every week right right mm -hmm. so it's yeah. been that's a lot of episodes yeah it's it's that's it's a, been, it's been a, a bit it's been a minute you know we had we had glenn on last year for uh the 113th take um mm -hmm. and that was that was but uh but yeah it's been it's been it's been a while, but I'm I'm su I'm I'm super excited to to have you on tonight, just to talk to you about a, a couple of fun things, and then obviously a lot about Christoph and share uh, share a Christoph cigar with you. Um, so I'm I'm about to crack mine open, but w what did you decide to light up tonight, Jared? Um, I just grabbed a Connecticut. Um, that's kind of like my go-to uh, because I do sit around and smoke pretty often, uh, as one would imagine, and. Um, so I, I end up gravitating towards this Connecticut um, more often than not. Uh, this or the JT or the Sumatra, uh, that's kind of my wheelhouse, like that mile medium around there. Um, 
So yeah, that's what I grabbed first, at least. Not not too uh, not too many pissed offs in the in the Jared rotation. That's what you're saying? No, no. My uh, so my fiance Marissa, she smokes pissed off. So I always have uh, those sitting in my humidor. The little United Firecracker pissed offs, and then I have the uh, the little pissed offs as well. So she that's her that's her speed. The the fuller bodied stuff. So we're in stock on them, but uh, <laughs> they're not for me. They're for her. Nice. I um. I need to, I need to, I need to enjoy more of those. I, I've, re- I've, I've really liked the blend, um, but I need to, I need to get more of those. I mean, you know, as you know, um, we'll, we'll talk about it here a little bit later, but um, you know, I just, I find myself always gravitating, you know, toward the vengeance. Um, and I just, I just grab those like crazy, but I've, I, uh, my good friend, Brandon, who's in the chat, who uh, works with me over at Michael's Tobacco, he's smoking a, what, another cigar that I thought was just absolutely fantastic. Last year's TAA, the box press San Andreas. Oh my God. Yeah. That cigar is really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a grab your attention cigar. Not like in an aggressive way. It's just the flavor. Like when I lit that cigar for the first time, the first time I had it, I just was like, damn, like it was just just grabs you uh grabs you with all the flavor intensity it's it's just god it's i love what you guys do with that box press it was, it was it was terrific yeah that's that's one of my favorite maduro blends that we've that we've done the san andreas blend in general is really good in in the regular uh vitolas but that that uh box press i just think is next level um and i'd love to do more box press stuff um just for regular production, not necessarily just for, uh, you know, secret squirrel TAA stuff, but for regular production product. Cause I think a lot of people would really like those. Well, it was tried before, right? It was the gal, the Galeroni series. And that wasn't just box press. That was also a, a different factory and a lot of different uh, variables and everything. But, um, um, but the, the cigar that I'm smoking tonight was actually, is actually kind of guess, I guess your first foray back into it. Right. Which was the uh, which was the cigar with your na- your namesake, right? The the JT the JT signature. Oh yeah, yep. That's a, that's the one. That's my so, baby. So this is a uh, this is actually a very special cigar. So for the I shared it with you um, before the show, uh, Jared. But uh, for the purpose of our audience tonight, um, this uh, this cigar has a little bit of a story. So uh, I I run into Jared outside of the PCA trade show two years ago, and. Uh, and he's like, hey, I got something for you. Let me. He's like, something for you to try. Uh, it's, it's you know, you know, like all cigar makers, no big deal. Just just hands me a cigar, and it. I noticed the footband right away, and I was like, wait a second. And sure enough, it's yours. Um, and that is, uh, it's it's uh, it's it's your cigar. But this this cigar in particular, the one that I'm actually holding, if you'll. Go ahead, I'll go ahead and put my uh, cigar into focus there. You can see the date on it. This was actually the one that you handed me that day in the hallway at PCA. Oh, no shit. That's crazy. That's crazy. I wish I had one of those that's that old. That's <laughs> so I'm going to crack it open and we're going to, we're going to light this. We're going to light this bad boy up here. So I'm really, I'm really awesome. excited. I'm going to be, je- I'm going to be jealous. I probably have two, four packs of JTs in my humidor. That's probably it. Um, cause those end up going once we get them in too. So it's, it's, it's hard. What's all this limited stuff. I want to smoke it like the TAA 685 Woodlawn and the TAA box press and the JT signature. And then 
I go to order samples or something or call my office and have them send me some. And they're like, oh, no, we don't. We haven't seen those. Those are all spoken for. Okay. All right. At least other people are getting them. I'm like, Who's my fucking name's on it. I should probably get them. But, <laughs> you know, but right. I'll get them eventually. I'll get That's uh, um, but the. Uh, we're, I mean, we'll get into your cigar here in just a minute, but uh, I wanted to there's a couple other things I want to touch base with you on while we're talking about uh, while I'm lighting about of the cigar. And this is something that I've been just really wanting to die and talk to you about. And I actually haven't had this conversation with you offline either, but um, I know it seems like a hundred years ago, pre COVID and everything, but you and uh, your fiance took a trip down to, uh, to, took a trip to India for a wedding. Um, and I mean, you, I mean, it was a whole nine yards type of wedding. It looked, I mean, it looked like a massive affair. You were you were dressed to the nines uh, in traditional in traditional. I mean, was it traditional Indian clothing? I don't want to. I, I mean, I, I don't want to speak on authority here. Yeah, it was. So we were uh, so the we were part of the bridal the bridal party. Um, so uh, the bride had uh, clothes made for us. We had to get measured before we went there, and she had tailors there make our outfits for every day of the wedding that had some sort of like formal aspect to it. Um, so yeah, so we, we were, we had to wear all the formal like uh, wedding attire, these really intricate kind of hand sewn uh, outfits. It was really, it was, it was really pretty cool. You know, like the way the experience that I got when I was there, I mean, we, we flew into an airport called Emritsar, which is, you know, hours and hours north of Delhi. And we were going to the state of Punjab, which is a really uh, small state in India, but it's responsible for a ton of the agriculture and uh, farming and exports that, that actually end up feeding India. And uh, so the village that I was in was called Adikali. And it was like a really, really small village. Like couldn't find it on a GPS or anything. Like it just didn't, you know, it's a really small village. Um, and um, it, it was funny. We lived with the, the bride's, the bride's family um, in there and they had a big house there. They're uh, w very well off there. Uh, but still it was pretty, uh, it, it was interesting walking around the village and stuff like that. I met a guy who was, uh, he was 104 years old and he was a farmer. And he told the father of the bride, you know, a six foot white guy walking through the middle of the of this super rural town, you know, and, uh, you know, draw some attention smoking a cigar, you know, like, and so uh, <laughs> I was walking around with the father of the bride and he introduced me to this guy and said he's 104 and the guy told the father of the bride, uh, Dave uh, Baldev is his name. Um, he was said, this is the first white person I've ever seen in my life, like not on TV in person. <laughs> like that's how rural this village was so it was like it was really i mean an experience that you, you i couldn't have paid for you know uh just being immersed in a culture like that and seeing everybody and living with everybody and i mean it was just such a uh cool kind of like once in a lifetime experience that uh we we want to go back marissa and i uh and and kind of have a little bit more casual because the the wedding was like you said i mean it was insane it was uh, 800 people uh, at the wedding uh, reception, uh, four days of uh, different ceremonies and things like that. And we get to participate 
in all of it. And it was a really like incredible traditional like experience uh, for us. So yeah, definitely once in a lifetime and it uh, definitely left an effect on us, you know, both, uh, you know, appreciating the culture and, and, and how immersed we were able to get in it, but also appreciating, you know, what we have back home and things that we take for granted and stuff like that. And, you know, being able to see uh, the real disparity between the, uh, you know, the upper class and the lower class and how there's really not much in the middle. And, and it, it was, it was wild. It was, it was one hell of an experience. It really was. Um, but yeah, yeah. feels like ages ago. And we, and, and we left, it was in March, I think, or something of uh, 2020. And then literally like by the end of March, the world was like shut down, you know, mm -hmm. uh, to the point where the, the uh, bride, who is a school teacher in Albuquerque, uh, one of our best friends, Sonia, uh, she was a school teacher in Albuquerque, and uh, she wasn't able to get to come back home for nine months or something like that. She got stuck there because there were no flights leaving and bringing people back. So she just had to, you know, stay. She, she got to stay there. And her husband is still there. So oh it's really, uh, yeah, yeah. So we got out, um, I mean, we got out just in time and another couple of weeks and it probably would have been difficult for us to get back. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was nuts. It was a crazy experience. So who, who did you know that you were in the bridal party? Did you know both of them or? Well, it was an arranged marriage. Um, so none of us knew the uh, husband, but Marissa's best friend uh, growing up, her name is Sonia. Um, she was the bride. Um, so Marissa was like her, you know, in her bridal party, like maid of honor. And then uh, Sonia was getting married. And then we, you know, over the years, we've all become friends uh, with Sonia, not just, but she's not just like my wife's friend. You know what I mean? Like she's my friend too. Um, and so, uh, and I always busted her balls about not being married and not, you know, trying to find a husband. And it's kind of, you know, it's a really traditional process of like, you know, your parents forcing all these guys and this guy's a doctor, this guy's this, this guy's that, and trying to get you get trying to get her married. And she is just like, nope, 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 nope. And so um, she became she became my friend, too. And we spent a lot of time with them. And so she wanted us all to be part of the wedding party, which I thought was awesome of her. Um, so I flew Marissa and myself and Marissa's mom, who, you know, Marissa grew up with this girl. So Marissa's mom wanted to come to the wedding, too. So flew all of them out and uh and we got to participate it was pretty amazing so was this the husband's hometown then since sonia grew up no here? it was her okay, no her sonia family. yeah it's her family so family she grew up she was i think i don't know if she was born here or born there um but she every year goes back you know for months and months and months um and and her parents spend half the year there uh, so her family is still very traditional in that respect. You know, they operate businesses in New Mexico, um, but but here uh, they still have really strong ties back to that community and a, and a big house there and everything. So, um, I mean, it was it was it was wild, like walking around the village and seeing the farmers and how everything's still done. Everything's by hand. There's no, you know, machines. There's no nothing. And right across that we were staying in a house that was like 14 bedrooms with three kitchens and uh you know all this shit 
and then across the street, literally you open the gate and walk across the street and it's a center block building with a family of seven or eight, which that they share with, you know, three water buffalo and some goats and stuff. And I mean, <clears throat> it was wild. I mean, it, it was wild. The next time I see you, I can show you some pictures and stuff, but it, it was, uh, it was a pretty crazy experience to see. So what was your, um, I mean, obviously it made an impression on you. We'll, we'll talk about a couple of those impressions later, but uh, like just kind of focusing on the, on the, the fun festivities of it. Have, I mean, have you ever been to a traditional Indian wedding? Have, I mean, other than your introduction to Sonia, I guess you've never, have you ever had any experience with that culture at all? No, not, not really. Um, but it was insane. Like <laughs> they have, like all of these ceremonies, whether they're, you know, I got to, we actually got to be, so there were 800 people invited to the wedding reception. There were 250 items of food on the menu, uh, different vendors. Uh, I mean, everything you could possibly think of a live concert on like a full side stage. I mean, it was insane. It was, it was nuts, but the, they do some really interesting things like at a lot of the ceremonies, um, when uh you know the bride and the husband are dancing the family just walks up and just throws money on top of them and that's like part of the and that's like part of it uh to to get them started in life and everything and then um there's one ceremony uh after so this is after the wedding we actually got to go to the wedding itself which was inside a temple so shoes off head covered sitting cross-legged and you, you watch them do the traditional you know like they recite certain things and, you know, it, it was pretty cool. And then afterwards, so all of this, the bride and her sisters and everything, if the husband wants to get into the reception hall to see her, he and all the groomsmen or the, 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 his version of the bridal party, they all, the, the women get to ask for whatever they want. So that the, from the husband, like that's their only chance they can ask for whatever they want money, gifts, uh, anything. And the husband has to do it. And it's like a negotiation between the bridal party and the groom's party to, for the women to let them into the building. And so, you know, they can ask for a thousand dollars and he's kind of like, got to do it, you know? And so it's, it's, it was really, it was, it was really cool. I mean, it was a really cool experience to be that in it and not just watching it, you know? I mean, you were there for a while because, I mean, it is a, it is like you said, a very long, drawn out, you know, ceremony. I mean, several ceremonies within this one celebration. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, how long were you there? I don't know, like um, maybe almost two weeks. Um, oh, wow. But, but we, uh, we also got to see a lot of uh, the state of Punjab. We went up into the Himalayas, saw some of the like really old uh, holy sites, um, like a, you know, uh, uh, stuff that you would think was made up, you know, like a solid gold temple that a giant tree grew around that one of the parts of the God, uh, of their God was scattered. So the God was divided into, let's say, eight pieces or something like that, or nine pieces. And all the different places where the body part landed is a holy site. So one of them is this giant, enormous tree growing around this golden temple. And uh, so you stand in line and walk in and you can see the, you know, the 
holy artifacts or and one is like a i don't know a thousand square foot temple made of solid gold in the middle of a, a lake uh uh, another one, there's just fire coming out of the ground 24 seven that if you throw water on it, it gets bigger. If you, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's like miracles. I saw like, I saw, uh, you know, all the monkeys up in the Himalayas towards the Chinese border. And I mean, it was, it was crazy. The food was amazing. I mean, just all veg, uh, pretty much all vegetarian, um, but super fresh. Cause they grew the, they, you know, the produce came from the farms. Mm -hmm. thousands of acres of farms all the way around it so any produce they needed came from the farms that day and was prepared in the kitchen which is a separate building so that you don't have to smell it being prepared and it's i mean it was just it was wild it was it was wild. it was it was again like a life-changing experience for me to be able to get into that culture and see it that way you know it's it seems like to me like that that's one of the things that I loved about travel so much and just like understanding like different cultures and and just seeing how like I mean like like you said Jared like like the thing I mean I mean I've been to some big weddings and I've been to a lot of weddings here in the United States um, and I've been to some big ones uh, I've never been to an 800 person wedding I mean that's, yeah I mean it's why it's... I mean that that's a town <laughs> yeah yeah. It was probably, there were probably more people at the wedding than there were in the town that I was staying. And it's, they gave me, they knew I liked to smoke. So this house, which had, like I said, 14 bedrooms and stuff, there's one room that's perched like on top of it that opens up to this huge deck, which is basically the entirety of the roof of the house. And so I was all jet lagged and shit. So I'd wake up, you know, six o'clock in the morning and I'd sit out there and you can hear all the you know, the prayers being read over the loudspeakers and um, I mean, the sunsets and sunrises over all these thousands of acres of farm fields. And I mean, it, it, but there, there was, so they have this uh, ceremony, it's called Jago. And basically it, Jago like means like stay up late. And so basically you're, you, you're like, you're I was drinking. born for this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm like this is I do this as a career, you know. And so um I was like uh so you you stay up late, drink, party, eat, have a good time, dance, and then at one point, say midnight or whatever, you walk around the entire village as a big giant procession knocking on families' doors and inviting them to the wedding in person. So people are up super late and they stand in front of their house and then get their invite or you go into the house and they give you a drink or whatever, but there's by the end of it. And then they join the pr pr procession. So by the end of it, we had, you know, whatever, 500 people in this giant long line dancing through this town at two in the morning or something like that. I mean, it was, it was really crazy. Oh my gosh. I, yeah. I, I, I want to experience this now. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was not. So what was the religious background too? I mean, is it, is, I don't want to assume anything. Was it, was it Hindu? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a big. Religion. No, they're Sikh. They're Sikh. Okay. Yeah. So Punjab, uh, the state of Punjab. Punjab that's is, right. You said, yeah. Yeah. So they're majority Sikh, which is, mm -hmm. uh, uh, different. Uh, it's different than, uh, than Hinduism. Okay. Um, I'm there, sure that there's somebody more qualified than me to explain I, it. Well, and I mean, there's so much more to it. I know, but I mean, this, that's the real part of their religion is the, is, and 
is the is the turban the turban has a very holy place for for the men who wear it and it's 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 very much a, a centered part of their religion much like the yarmulke in, in judaism to, to a yeah so the men the men uh they they never cut their hair mm -hmm. um so they uh or the traditional men in the in the faith they they don't cut their hair they have really really long hair which is twisted up into the into the the turban that they wear uh at all times um and the Sikh people are um were, are like warriors uh they're they i thought i was going to go there and it was going to be a bunch of short people but these guys they were all huge um and a lot of them were in the army officers in the army stuff like that so it's a much different culture than than uh regular indian culture and they wow. drink a lot and party a lot uh where where hindis typically don't uh as much so uh it, it was i was right at home there i was i was right <laughs> You're like, i was, I was right at home. This. <laughs> yeah yeah well i know we spent a lot of time on it but man this, I, I was just i'm just i was just fascinated by it. i mean it just it just seemed like such an experience and I, I i hadn't talked to you since about it and i know we're both busy uh very very busy uh you more than i but um yeah, it just seemed like a it just seemed like a real uh, a hoot, and I wanted to I wanted to chat about it. So, for thanks for that, we're gonna actually yeah. talk a little bit more about some of this experience here later on. Um, sure. But uh, I wanted to before we kind of go into tonight's major point. What are uh, what are you sipping on tonight? Uh, you got the legendary uh, Yeti cup that uh, you uh, you you uh, you always adorn uh, during these podcasts. Yes. yes, I have the Yeti cup. Are we doing? It's just water. I was going to say it's just you're doing water, water tonight. You're not going to see any knocks on the door for. I did. I was doing another podcast and I was just like in the middle of a sentence and I knocked on the window and Marissa just stuck her arm out and grabbed a Yeti cup to refill it with vodka for me. And it was like, oh, thanks, babe. But uh, yeah, no, it's just water today. Well, in honor of. Um... In honor of your partner and boss and the owner of Christoph Cigars, I'm sipping on some gin tonight. Now I know he's a vodka guy too, but when I talked when the last time I talked to him, he said he was a gin and vodka guy. So I'm I'm sipping on some gin and I've got some water as well to stay hydrated too. So that's what I'm going to be uh, drinking on tonight. It's this. Uh, are you a gin guy too, or are you mostly vodka? Yeah, I like gin. So I, I've been really enjoying this. I've had it a couple of times on the show, and I've, have you had Grey Whale before? Huh. No, no. It, this is this is really good. So the entire gin is is sourced from California Californian botanicals. So it's all every single ingredient is from California. So like the juniper is from Big Sur. The limes are from Temecula. The fir tree is from Sonoma. They use sea kelp in it. Uh, oh no, wow, that's, that's not interesting. A, yeah, I was gonna say that's a, not a, that's not a traditional one. Mint from Santa Cruz, and uh, almonds, believe it or not, from the Central Valley. So um, I'll have to check it out. I typically just grab like a Hendrix. Um, that's what I go or botanist. I like that too. Botanist um, is good. But, I love Hendrix. As yeah. Well. But I, I uh, yeah, I haven't I haven't gotten into some of the more boutique gins, but I'd like to try. I'd li I definitely like to try. Where do you get it? Uh, I got this one at um, a, a local guy. It's called Halls. It's this. It's it's right across the street from Michaels. It's that corner. Oh, okay. Yep, I know where you're at. Yeah. yeah so, yep. yeah, it's a local guy. He's got a great beer selection too, but he's got some interesting cocktails and uh, spirits and stuff. And and uh, yeah, the Gray Whales um, gin is from there. It's, it was. It's really good. Really enjoyed yeah, I'll it. Have to check it out. So, um, 
Well, that will take us into tonight's major point, which is always uh, brought to you by Barracoa Cigar Company. Barracoa is back. The Voyage has relaunched. Couldn't wait for the cigar to come back. It's been over three years, but now with a revamped blend coming out of one of the hottest factories in the industry, Danny Vasquez has promised us that if you like the original blend, you're absolutely going to love the relaunch. So check out uh, check out purveyors and check out Barracoa Cigar Companies on all your social media platforms, and you can see where you can get Barracoa Cigar Company once again. The Voyage is back. And uh, as always, never settle, Barracoa Cigar Company. So, Jared, it's been, like I said, we like we talked about, it's been quite a while since you and I sat down. It's been over a year since I've sat down with anyone from Christoph and talked about it on the show. But uh, um, the, the cigar that I lit up tonight, I'm, I'm really I'm really excited to kind of get into the story behind it. I mean, um, I mean, tr- first of all, I mean, what an honor, right? I mean, you're you're for the, for Glenn to say, let's, let's do a cigar for you. Or, or did you go to him? I mean, what was the story here? No, I definitely, I definitely didn't go to him. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm always, and anybody that, that knows me well in the industry knows that I'm a, I'm a business guy, you know, I'm a, I'm a, uh, operation. I'm a uh, business operator, you know, uh, I'm, I'm passionate about the product. I love the product. I wouldn't want to sell anything else, but I, uh, but I, I'm not, I've got the wrong accent for uh, talking about a lot of this stuff uh, as far as Glenn goes. Glenn spent 15 years going back and forth to the Dominican Republic to work on these things. And the guy that uh, uh, runs our factory for us, Rolando Villamil, he's an absolute legend with you know 50 years of experience in the tobacco business. And he's worked with Glenn to help uh, him become a better blender and to, and to work on the blends together. So um, this actually started when Rolando came to the PCA um, in 2018 or 2017, maybe. And he had a literal like Ziploc bag full of uh, cigars, like a lunch sandwich bag uh, with, it had three cigars in it. And uh, he was like, you know, Maho, I want you to try this. Um, and tell me what you think. So he gave me one, he gave Glenn one. Um, and I was like, Glenn, Glenn was smoking it. And he was like, what do you think? And I'm like, I love this rapper. I'm like, I don't know what it is. I'm like, but I really love this rapper. And, uh, it was that HVA, the Havana Vuelta Bajo. Um, and, uh, I was like floored by it. I loved it. And I loved the way it looked. I loved the way it smoked. And this was just a really basic blend that he get, that he brought to us um, just so that we could taste the wrapper. And he's like, I can get this if you want to do something with it. And Glenn was kind of like, Jared, why don't you, you seem to really like it. Why don't you try to come up with something? And I'm like, ah, it's not really my bag. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like I don't know enough, you know, yeah, Glenn and Rolando have forgotten more than I know about tobacco. So it's like, I, I really was kind of like, oh, I don't know. And then Glenn was like, well, I'll do it. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> so I, uh, so I, I was like, it's going to take me as long as it's going to take me. And because I really don't know what I'm doing. I was going to say, I'm you like, took this really serious. Yeah. I'm like, so it's going to take me as long as it's going to take me and it's going to be what I want it to be. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time thinking about, you know, like you want to make this cigar when, when you're marketing something commercially, you smoke, you try to find something that you like, but it's like uh, buying and selling anything else, you know, uh, you know, 
make what you can sell, not what you would buy, you know? Um, so you've got to make stuff that fits everybody's palates. Like I said, I'm a mild medium guy, but the, the cigars that we've done the best with over the years have been Maduro's, right? Uh, not saying I don't like Maduro's or don't smoke Maduro's, but it's just not what I go to every day. Um, so if we went by what I smoke, it, uh, we wouldn't have any of those. So I was like, I'm going to make it something that I want to sit and smoke and, and kind of celebrate with after a long day or something like that. So it took me, it ended up taking me two years. So the one that you're smoking right now, that's 2019. I, I first got that little Ziploc bag with a sample in it at 2017. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we worked on the blend for the next two years and, uh, and obviously delivery and everything, uh, for the box and for the band. Um, and, uh, yeah, so 2019 is when we actually had them done, aged, uh, ready to decide what we're going to do with. Um, and then once we got the blend sorted out and, uh, the livery sorted out, we, we ended up coming up with this idea that was like, you know, my shops, like my buddies and stuff like that, uh, the shops that know me and their customers know me and have a good relationship with me, I'm going to give this cigar to those guys. I'll do an event there to launch it and then they can keep selling them. And only the stores that support us by doing that event that I have a good relationship with are going to be the stores that get it. So it wasn't going to be a regular line uh, in our portfolio. Um, and then, you know, fast forward three months from there and we're in the thralls of COVID and everybody shut down. And so it's like, I can't fly around doing these launch events anymore. So we just kind of had to be like, oh, I asked the reps, I'm like, who do I like? You know, <laughs> like, who do I like? Who are, who are my guys out there? Who are the people that are going to support this? And they, and they came back with a list and I'm like, all right, well, they can have it if they want it. And then everybody took it. So um, been really blessed to get some support behind the, behind this line. And, and I look forward to once things are, back to normal and events can be back to normal and capacity is normal to go out there and start doing some of these events with the stores, but, uh, it's out there. It's out there. Um, I wish I could tell everybody where it is, but, uh, it's in Michael's of Ulysses has it. It's, uh, uh, it, it, there's, there's plenty of places that do have it. Um, but just, it's not in every brick and mortar store. It's, it's really in the stores that I think are important to, 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 grow in the brand that I have a good personal relationship with. It only comes in one Vitola, which uh, is a box press, uh, which is very, which at the time, um, be, this was prior to Ural's TAA San Andreas box press. It's prior to this year's TAA box press. Uh, you guys, Christoph has tried box press before, um, uh, but this is kind of its first uh, kind of foray back into the whole box press. What was it about the box press that attracted you since this was your project? I mean, did you, did you tell them to try it out? Did, was this originally on? No, your that's what I wanted. That, okay. that, that's what I wanted. I knew what, I knew what I wanted. I knew the size I wanted. I knew the box press uh, was going to be a thing for me. And to be honest, it's like, I wish there was some like eloquent reason why I wanted to do a box press. I just kind of like them. Uh, I've always gravitated towards box press cigars, but also at the time I had um, like this really small side table uh, that was very flat. And I, I was tired of my cigars rolling off of it if I put it down uh, in the middle of smoking it. So it's, uh, that's, they say that like uh, the reason Jack Daniels bottles are square 
is so it doesn't slide out from under your seat when you slam on the brakes. And that's <laughs> and that that's uh, sort of the same reason why I wanted to do the box press for for the JT because I was putting it down on the table all the time and I find it rolled off the balcony or whatever onto the ground. Um, so yeah, so there's really not a super artsy reason for why I did it. I just kind of liked it. I liked the way it looked and I liked the way they smoked. Just to go back for a moment to the process in which you took and the time that you took to get it. I mean, I mean, do you have any idea? I mean, how many samples you tried before you kind of settled on this blend? It was a lot. <laughs> it, it was a lot. Um, and it was a lot of work when we were in the Dominican Republic too, uh, working on it in person and things like that. But I would get a, I would get a box shipped to me with one cigar in it or two cigars in it. It wrapped in, uh, you know, bubble wrap. And then I was like, all right, well, this is what I'm working on this week, I guess. I'm trying to pick this apart. And the, the, the big problem was, is I really don't know. I really didn't know what I was doing. You know, I've been around tobacco for 10 years uh, and involved in making decisions for, uh, you know, blends and, and new products and stuff like that. But I've never been in the weeds. Like, that's really what Glenn does well and what Rolando does well is um, sit down with the tobaccos and work on it. I, I might give some feedback on what the product might need or what it might be missing or what it might have too much of or whatever. Um, but I'm not the one who's sitting there picking through tobacco and, 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 and stuff like that. So I really needed to get into it in order to be able to put this product together. But fortunately I didn't even have to like get too, too deep because I, it was all curated for me. So the, the idea that the, you know, I blended this, I made decisions on the blend of it, but I mean, the real legwork goes to the people at the factory in the, in the Dominican Republic who really took my dumb accent and translated it into tobaccos that I would read, that would resonate with me. And, and, and they let me do stupid ideas. They let me do smart ideas and they sent me samples all the same, whether it was a bad idea or a good idea. And they probably knew in advance which one it was, but they sent it to me nonetheless. So they let me fall on my face. That's why it took two years because it, it, it was really uh, uh, difficult for me. And I didn't want to do it half-ass. I didn't want to put my initials onto something that I didn't like. Uh, so it, it really took some time, but uh, I'm really happy. I'm really happy with the project and the way it came out. Well, the cigar that's almost two years old now in my hands that I've been smoking, um, the the wrapper has this really rustic nature the flavor is still if anything i think maybe it's even strengthened because i i know your palate you like a more mild to medium cigar um but it's got some this has got some giddy up to it um the draw is impeccable the construction was until i just ashed a moment ago the the ashes the construction was holding up phenomenally um and i'm i'm digging i'm digging this hit uh, with a couple years of age on it i mean I'm not one of I'm not one to specifically say, hey, go out and buy the cigar and age it. Uh, but go out, buy the cigar, smoke it, and buy another box and and set it aside because this is this is tremendous. Oh, good man! I'm glad. I'm I'm jealous. I, I wish I had some that were old <laughs> that I could smoke. It, I I promise I'm making an effort here, Jared, not to ask about what's next or anything. But the the, the challenge and the opportunity that you had about putting this blend together. I mean, is it is it something that you would if, if given the opportunity, would you do it again? Was it fun? Did you enjoy it? I did enjoy it. It was a little, you know, 
I, I really, I really did enjoy it. And it was a, a, a hell of a thing for Glenn to give me the opportunity to, to put this project together. And uh, even however, sort of uh, me saying that's, you know, it's not, that's not what I'm known for, you know, <laughs> like, but um, it was a hell of an opportunity. And, and what I'm really grateful for, and probably the number one reason why I would do it again is is because of how much I got to learn about it um, and about the process and stuff like that by doing it, you know? Um, like I said, I'm, I'm the first guy to tell you I'm not an expert in this stuff. I, I, uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm not going to come out here and say, you know, I'm a white guy from Rhode Island with a shitty accent that, you know, I'm a blender or something like that because I'm really not, but I, I wanted to put my best foot forward and 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 try to get as into it as they let me, um, and they opened their books for me and let me let me get as into it as I wanted to. So um, I would do it again just for the opportunity to kind of glean some more knowledge from Glenn or from Rolando or from the people down at the factory. And you know, it was funny because I went down uh, in December a couple years ago, and uh, the guy came up to me at the factory. Was like JT, and I'm like, yeah, that's yeah, that's me. And he was like, I roll the JT, and there's one guy that they trust to roll it. And so I got to sit with him for a minute and talk to him and kind of see what he was thinking and see what he thought of the cigar and everything. So it was, I mean, it's a really cool experience as far as being a an industry guy to to be able to do something like that, you know. And then to see it in stores with my initials on it and the Red Sox colors, and uh, you know, it's it's a cool see my signature on the box and. You know, it's cool. It was really cool. And it, it was a real cool thing for Glenn to do and for the factory to give me a chance on. I wanted to ask if the colors were intentional. So you said they're the Red Sox colors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my my initials in cursive with the, uh, the uh, blue and red uh, Sox colors, Patriots colors, whichever one you pick. Uh, yeah. So I wanted to try to give a little throwback to that on the band so man talk about the last 24 months of experiences for you i mean this kid from south providence you, you blend your own cigar that, that bears your name and you go and experience this once in a lifetime experience uh in in punjab and i mean when you were a kid i mean if could you ever imagine that this this, this would be your life <laughs> no man i mean we grew up we grew up in a in it's, it's, this town's called winsocket uh which is ta absolutely terrible uh, place to grow up um and uh but my parents worked really hard we got out we moved to a suburb of there and then we moved to a really nice part of the state where i was able to go to high school and stuff and you know i've gone my whole life watching my dad and my mom work super hard to try to get us to improve our lots and send us to college, you know, um, and, and, and all that stuff. And so I'm, I'm really grateful. I never thought I'd have the opportunities that I've had, um, uh, in this industry, um, or in any industry really. So, um, yeah, it's nuts to look back and say like, shit, what I could have been doing versus what I am doing. It's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. I don't think a lot of people would have had that for me. I, I have to say I'm pretty, it's pretty exciting to see like just what 
you know, because I was talking to Glenn about this the last time I had him on, you know, like we, we talk about the, the traditional families and the, the, the generational, you know, legacies that are in this business and everything. But, you know, it, it's so much fun to see like what someone like Glenn has done and someone like yourself has been a part of. And I mean, these are these are I mean, these are exciting projects. And I mean, you're you're working with a, a factory that's I mean, you know, for all intents and purposes, you're 95% of its capacity. So, I mean, it's, it, it is your factory, you know, no one else is getting uh, this type of experience. No one else really is getting this type of cigars. So, um, I'm, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm blown, I'm blown away by this cigar. I'm really, really, really enjoying it with two years of age. I've had it before like kind of straight off the shelf and it's, it's, it's a, it's a great cigar. It's a great blend. You, I mean, you should be really proud, Jared, seriously. Yeah, I am. I'm proud of, uh, I'm proud of the blend. I'm proud of the project. I'm proud of, um, of, uh, what, what my team has been able to accomplish and what Glenn's been able to accomplish over the last 15 years and having had a chance to be a part of it has been the, the coolest experience that I've of my life, you know? So I'm, I'm really, really fortunate, really grateful for, for the opportunities I've gotten. So we've gotten several comments in the chat about some technical difficulties. Uh, there seems to be some echo on my end. So I'm, um, Jared, if you'll forgive me and, and my audience, I'd like to ask for a little bit of, uh, of grace here. I'm going to do just a quick test on something. And, uh, and uh, if you'll bear with me for just a moment here, no pun intended. I um, just want to see if we're going to go ahead and is the echo gone? Uh, it appears that it it appears that it might be. So I think we might have to do uh, some back uh, some some technical stuff here uh, just by ex with some experimentation. So um, Jared, if you can hear me, I I muted your microphone. I think that actually solves the. Uh, yeah, that solves the issue. I think we're look looks like we're having so. Uh, um, I we might what we might have to do is I might have to mute you when I'm talking, and then if you'll unmute, and then I think we'll we'll be okay. Yep, that's fine. Okay, so um, sorry about that. Um, all right. Uh, well, thank you to our audience there for a second. So um, so um, Jared um. The, uh, the I guess the next the next question. So like you were talking about with the release of the JT signature, you guys have this big plane released, and then three months later, you know the world comes to a stopping end, um, and you know we usher in the what what I've called and coined the COVID era. Um, but something that what I was from afar, I, I kind of you know was able to observe was the strategy that that you and Glenn took with Christoph. Um, there were there were companies that there were some companies that laid some people off. There are companies that you know had to let some of their brokers go. You obviously have an in-house sales force, um, but Christoph remained intact. Um, when you when when this became a thing and COVID you know started, um, obviously there were probably a series of meetings with Glenn about this. What were some of those meetings like? What was the strategy? What were what were you thinking short term and long term? As far as how Christoph would handle uh, this, this, the, you know, this, this, I said, told myself I'd never say the the term anymore. The historical event that ended up being this pandemic of this last year. 
Um, so yeah, I, we, we got into it, um, really early. Uh, we kind of saw what was going on and, you know, with having traveled internationally and seeing how the rest of the world was kind of, uh, starting to ramp up for it. Um, I was pretty, I was pretty concerned in the beginning and, and Glenn was too. Um, and so was my counterpart Ward, who's our, uh, COO, um, who's my, my partner in, in pretty much everything. Um, so we, we, we got on a call and we were like, look, this is kind of what's going on. And we had to kind of feel around and see, you know, what was really going to happen legislatively, what was going to happen with our accounts and things like that. But pretty early on, we started getting some feedback from accounts talking, uh, talking to us and saying like, would you believe this? Like, we got to shut down and do curbside and do all these things. And I'm getting deals from manufacturers. And, you know, I mean, everybody was in your fucking email saying, you know, Sunglass Hut was in your email saying, you know, we're here for you during this pandemic. And I'm like, oh, thanks, Sunglass Hut. for. I'm sure you're qualified to, you know, respond to an international incident, right? Like, it, it was nuts. And I thought it was uh, intellectually dishonest to go out there and, and try to tell our customers you know, like we, you know, we're sorry, you know, like, uh, but here, you know, what would really help you right now is buying more cigars from us, you know, <laughs> like it was like, that was so fucking dumb to me. And it was intellectually dishonest, I think, for manufacturers to go out there and do that. And while I'm sure the shops that were open appreciated the opportunity to make some extra margin and stuff, I'm sure the ones that were closed were like, how tone deaf could you possibly be? So I, our approach and the approach that we had with the sales reps was, um, look, we, we want to be really engaged right now with our retailers as far as what they need and what they're going to be interested in. And, um, you know, if they're doing curbside, let's come up with a way for them to sell cigars at curbside. If they need swag, if they need materials, if they need retail bags, if they need all the things um, that could help uh, during this time. But so if, you know, if, if you're local to a big market and you're going to stop by a store, if it's possible, you know, that, that shop owner might've had to lay off his staff, you know, so go work the humidor for him so that the guy can catch up on paperwork and paying bills and stuff, or, you know, just help out and be around and be there for, in the way that the customers need you to be there instead of, you know, emailing them and saying, Hey, pandemic special, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like it just seemed nuts to me. That, that 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 was the approach that sub manufacturers took so um so we we put out you know a press release saying you know we're not gonna try to tell you how to handle things because we don't know how to handle things um in your in your shoes but uh we're gonna be here for you in whatever way that you need and so uh we came up with some really creative pro programs and then another thing that we did again towards that end of like being more introspective was we uh, I had biweekly Zoom calls with my whole sales team, um, where instead of just talking about numbers, because numbers were really not germane to the conversation at that point with, you know, 50% or more of your account shut down, uh, we talked about education, you know, how can you be a better rep? How can you be a better person? How can you be a better, uh, how can you be a better asset to the company? What are, you know, I, I think a great question that came out of the, these biweekly Zoom calls was, um, I asked the sales reps, you know, what do you love doing? What that you're good at that you aren't doing for us? 
So I had one guy say, you know, I really love social media. And so I'd like to get, okay, great. So now that person runs our social media. And I had another guy who said, oh, I know how to do like some backend web stuff. So I want to redo our Christoph website. And I'm like, awesome. One guy was like, I love these internet forums and podcasts and stuff. So I want to liaise with them and make sure they get the same access to samples and stuff like that, that um, the, uh, the big guys do. And I was like, perfect. So that guy jumped into that. One guy's really good at taking pictures and has a, is like a, you know, was into photography. So he did some good promo shots and things like that. So um, I really got a lot of bandwidth out of it. Uh, one, one of our, our newer reps was interested in, she was a copywriter. Um, so she wanted to write, you know, the press releases and email campaigns and things like that. So she got into that. So again, just kind of tapping our sales people, because if you have something that you really love, that you're really good at, and nobody's ever asked you, would you like to do that for the company you're working for? I mean, there's bandwidth on the table, right? And the reps aren't trapped much anymore. And, uh, they weren't on the road at all at that time. So if you're just sitting at home making phone calls, you know, you make 10, 15 phone calls a day. By the time it gets to the next Monday, you're calling, you know, you know, after two weeks, you're calling the same people all over again. They're like, oh, still shut down, as you know, you know, like, so we really wanted to come up with a way to, to, to get better during this whole thing. Um, and part of that was not adopting the austerity measures that other companies did either. I mean, there's, um, there's a couple times in the cigar business where my accent is beneficial and, and my background by education and career experience in the corporate world working for Fortune 500 companies, that, that really benefited us, you know, um, and Glenn as well and Ward as well. So uh, as a management team, I think uh, we, really want, we really put a ton of emphasis on the back end on making sure our, our people were taken care of through the whole thing. So we didn't lay anybody off. We didn't, uh, we didn't cut pay. We didn't do anything. We, we, and we did more to try to keep them engaged and interested and excited about doing their job. And then, uh, so yeah, so that was, uh, we were really fortunate to be in a financial position where, um, you know, we, we could do all that stuff. Um, so yeah, yeah. That's kind of COVID for us in a nutshell. We're going to talk about your background in uh, in uh, corporate here in just a second because I think it bears on this conversation for a moment because I have this I have this crazy theory and I, I wanted to s just see if to bounce something off you but before we get into that real quick this is always the, the, the some of the things that you're talking about that you did with your team over the course of the past twelve plus months isn't that different from the way you've typically operated and, and I'll let you comment on it, Jared, but it's, it's, you've, you've always, you've always encouraged and you've always pushed your reps to do more than the status quo. That's always been your thing, you know, show up, don't be a dick, always ask for something. And it's not just asking for the sale. It's asking what you can do for them. I've, I've known Guillermo, who's our area rep. I've, you know, he comes into the humidor and he sells and he re, you know, he reorganizes the humidor. And I know, that that's just the type of guy he is, but I also know that that's behavior that's encouraged by you and in, in, in a lot of ways. So you've always, you've always kind of insisted this, this different approach, if you will. Um, I mean, obviously that, that has, that's served you well in the last 12 months. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it served us, it served us well, before that, and then I think it'll continue to serve us 
well. But during these last 12 months, I mean, the reps, I really try to empower my guys to like, and, and girls to, to, to be, to like be about it, you know, <laughs> like, like if you're, if you're going to show up to an account and you always hear people in the cigar business in these sales calls and stuff, they preach about partnership, they preach about all these different things. But then when it comes time, when your retailers really need a partner um, and need somebody to help them weather the storm, all of a sudden you're calling them for an order, you know, and it's like, you just have to use your brain for a half a second to realize that. Would it be great to write orders? Yeah, it absolutely would. Is that what the retailer needs right now when they don't know if they can pay their mortgage, when they don't know if they can pay their staff? They need you to call up with a fucking eight and one telling them how that's going to help them through the pandemic. And, and they don't know if they can pay their part-time guy that's been there five years, 10 years, whatever. No, that's, that's just silly. So it, 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 that approach of being the kind of people that people want to do business with has served us uh, really well. And it, and it especially served us during the pandemic when my whole team was really engaged towards the end of being better partners to the retailers you know have you noticed the the tangible proof of these practices like have you know like have retailers gone out of their way to tell you how they're more committed to Christoph because of this or you know are they truly appreciate do they truly understand and do they truly appreciate what you do the extra mile that you guys go oh oh yeah yeah I mean there there are some accounts that you know uh, the big guys are doing, you know, $5,000 a year with that I'm doing $35,000 a year with. I mean, you never know who you can be important to. And you can be important to a lot of people if you take that approach of, you know, being the kind of people people want to do business with and, and being a good partner and going the extra mile. And um, everyone's going to find a way to say yes to you and to, and to support you if you support them the right way. Um, so, yeah, we... Uh, we had a lot of retailers reach out during the pandemic and say, listen, what the, I, what you said about this was spot on, you know, and, and we appreciate that tact. Um, and so, yeah, it worked, uh, it worked out really well. So Jared, here's my crazy theory that I have now. I'm, I'm not, uh, <laughs> I'm not so crazy as to suggest that you saw an international pandemic coming. But as you've lamented on my show, and uh, you've said on numerous occasions and on several platforms, uh, you left a you left a very lucrative, promising career in the in the corporate sector to follow this dream of of, of in within the premium cigar industry. And you started off as a sales rep, and you opened up another territory, and so on and so forth, to where now you're completely all you know. Christoph is completely in house, and you you built that from scratch, literally. Um, here's my answer. This question came across to me today. Did you maybe unsubconsciously, or did you actually see the end of big box coming? Like it seems to be the, this seems to be the dawn of the end of big box as we know it. Did you see that coming? Um, uh, not real. Not. It it was a time in in big box retail where I just wasn't. Um, I was doing really well in my career, uh, and and my group was doing really well, and I was very young for the opportunity that I had there, 
in the same way that I was very young for the opportunity Glenn gave me. Um, and so um, I just, I was more, it was much less me thinking, you know, this is the way of the past. Because, I mean, if you're going to leave an archaic business and come to another archaic business, you know, that, that wasn't, you know, it wasn't exactly like, you know, I left, uh, I left big box retail uh, as an executive to, you know, come develop software. It's like I, I left, <laughs> I left big box retail to come and sell dead plants in a tube for ten dollars, the same way they've been being <laughs> sold for the last, uh, for the last hundred years. So it's, uh, I, I, I just saw an opportunity where I was in an exceedingly corporate, publicly traded environment where I was accountable to demonstrating shareholder value at all times, things like that. And I saw an opportunity as a pretty young guy to have like this entrepreneurial sort of leap into a different space. And um, I knew I was young enough to where if it didn't work, um, I could get back into whatever I was doing or try over or start again. Um, and so I was like, fuck it, I'm going to do it. And uh, I knew I wouldn't be able to look at myself if I didn't try. And so uh, when I jumped into it um, and got into it full time, um, I realized that there was a ton of opportunity in this space because a lot of the parallels that I saw between the big box uh, sort of executive culture and corporate culture, um, they were shared in the cigar business. There were these big lumbering companies that, you know, didn't realize that their lunch was getting eaten every day, that that could be a victim. And, 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 and so I, I saw a lot of opportunity and I saw this really entrepreneurial uh, kind of thing in front of me and really just kind of threw the fuck it flag and was like, I'm getting into it, you know, and I'm going to do it. And so, uh, and, and thank God it all worked out. And Glenn gave me the opportunity and did everything he ever said he was going to do for me. And, uh, and now we're here. So, yeah, I, I, I wish I had foreseen uh, sort of the way that the market was shifting and maybe subconsciously or something like that, that was a factor that I weighed, but it really just felt like this is what I want to do and this is what I don't want to do anymore. And that's really what factored into the decision. It was much more caveman brain than alpha brain, you know? No, that's, that's really something. No, it, it was something I was just, I was, I was, listening to our previous discussion earlier and I was, you know, I've, I've listened to a number of your interviews that you've done and, and here you talk about it so often and, you know, with what COVID has delivered with the, with what they're calling the dawn of big, you know, the end of big box and everything, it just kind of got me thinking that, you know, I was like, you know, I, I knew it probably wasn't a conscious thing, but maybe it was some conscious on some level. And it's just, it's interesting sometimes how like, you know, life kind of, you know, finds its own path and, you know, the, the decisions you make kind of, they end up working out in the end in a lot, in a lot of different ways. I and mean, sometimes they don't, but in a lot of ways that you could never imagine. Um, so that being said, you know, so, so the beginning of 2021 starts and, you know, there's still an international pandemic going. It's not like, you know, a lot of us were, you know, uh, you know, thinking that, you know, as soon as January, you know, as soon as December 31st, you know, 2020 came and the, the clock turned over that, we would, you know, magically everything would be back to normal and we get rid of this, this horrendous year known as 2020 and everything. And obviously that wasn't the case. So when you sat down with Glenn and started talking about what are we going to start doing in 2021 as, as things start slowly rolling to normal, what were some of the plans that you put in place and how have you guys 
put, you know, taken those steps as this year is stretched on. We're now in our going into our sixth month of 2021. Um, so first and foremost, and it kind of gets back to that whole like uh, trying to not be intellectually dishonest thing. Um, a lot of people say, you know, like, what are you doing new this year? What are you doing new this year? And I'm like, yeah. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I think it's, I think if you can't give your customers the inventory that's turning with the back order situation, the Dominican Republic has been not just under a, a quarantine, but also a curfew. So you can't even go to shift work in the Dominican Republic. So they can only have a certain number of people in the factory and they also have to be there at a certain time and gone at a certain time. So I couldn't even have three shifts to maintain my production at the reduced uh, physical capacity of the factory. Um, so there was very little that we could do. Um, so some of the stuff that we we did implement was, you know, I st we started seeing, you know, shipping manifests come in for inventory and you'd see you know, Lanceros, torpedoes, stuff like that on there. And I was like, I, I do not want to see another one of those again until, unless it's back ordered, I do not want to see it coming in. I don't want to see manpower going into it. Uh, screw the PARs in our inventory system. I, I want to make sure we have the things that our customers are turning. Um, so if I get a shipping container, I want to see Robusto Toro 6x60, you know, the stuff that people are selling. And uh, because the retailers, they don't get those inventory turns back, you know? And that customer that comes in looking for a, you know, a vengeance Toro, he's, he might find something else to smoke if it's not there two or three times in a row, uh, because it's back ordered. So, um, I, I wanted to get the back order situation under control and, uh, Ward and Glenn, um, were unbelievable, uh, when it came to managing our inventory and the factory's production during that time. So, um, another policy that we put into play, um, is uh, with the back order management, um, our factory might be at 60% capacity, let's say. So that 60% capacity doesn't mean 60% of the rollers, um, it's everybody in the building is not a roller. You have packaging, you have uh, quality control, you have the admin people, the import export people, you have all these different people in there that constitute the 60%. So our rollers, um, are not able to output the same amount of thing. And we also don't want to rush the process to, to and, and put out product that's going to become a customer service problem. Um, so in addition to that sort of austerity and the type of product that we were rolling at the time, uh, we also implemented to keep the brick and mortar retailers fed this policy, which has uh, no more than 10% uh, of our total back order volume can come from brick and mortar retailers. So we, we were averaging around eight to 9% of our total back order volume. So, you know, if, if we had $100,000 in back orders, only 9,000 of it would be back ordered to brick and mortar retailers. The other 91% of it would end up being back orders for the, the bigger key accounts. So uh, big distributors and catalogs and things like that. Um, so that was one thing that we put into place, which really helped us keep the brick and mortar retailers fed. Um, and uh, and that's kind of the, the, the approach we took was we didn't want our, our brick and mortar retailers to miss out on inventory turns and have inventory issues. Um, so we kind of sacrificed 
the greater good of the PL towards the end of getting, um, you know, because I could ship a hundred grand to a big account and they could turn it in a month and then order another hundred grand. Or I could ship a hundred grand to, you know, 200 accounts um, and it might take them longer to turn it. And I might not definitely get that reorder um, in, in the same period of time. So we, that wasn't as necessarily as healthy a move for our PL as we could have made, but it was the right thing to do, I think, for our, our retail partners. Servicing more in terms of quantity, in this case, quantity actually was better than, you know, quality and some, or I don't know what I'm saying here, but in terms of POs, I guess. Yeah. 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 Um, but, but I would rather ship $200,000 orders than one $200,000 order. That's kind of the, the, the bastardized version of it. You know, um, I want to make sure that our brick and mortar retailers that support us all year are getting fed and are getting the product their customers are asking for. Because in the end, those are the accounts that are really suffering. It's not, you know, to put a name on yeah. it, it's not Cigars International. Cigars International will be standing tomorrow, but mm -hmm. you know, mom and pop may not be. Mm -hmm. and that's terrific. Um, so are you, do you know the capacity that uh, Fairmore is at right now? Or is it still 60%? Is it less? Is it more? It's more. They're slowly increasing. Um, but again, we're just, you know, you're waiting from the rules on high from the uh, from the government down there, uh, and they're not particularly communicative about um, those kind of things. Plus, the other issue is, you know, if you're out of work down there, if you're out of work down there for six months, if you were, you know, part of the initial people that were laid off when it was at fifty percent capacity, um, you you uh, you know, you had to find another job. It's not like there's a great state benefit system or something like that. So being able to find people to come back and get in touch with the people that may have left and things like that uh, without compromising quality is another concern. So uh, it's, you know, every, every cigar manufacturer in the Dominican Republic knows like in even during uh, Christmas holidays, they have religious holidays and you might have 30 people that just don't come back after the religious holiday and that's only a few weeks well imagine imagine after you know potentially six months uh so people got to make a living so um yeah so it's 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 definitely been a challenge but as soon as we can get our production back in line things will be you know sort of business as usual but until then i'm not thinking about how can i how can you be back ordered for you know a few weeks on you know vengeance Toro, and then I tell you, oh, by the way, I'm coming out with five new lines at the show. Uh, it just it just makes you sound like an idiot, uh, and and it makes it seem like you don't understand your customers. So that's not that's not us. In terms of capacity, Jared, realistically, what are you hoping for? But realistically, what do you think you're looking at to where you guys will be back up to running what you were a month pre-COVID? What do you what what are the timelines that you're considering at, at the company level? I'm hoping I'm hoping by uh, by the end of the year will be uh, somewhat in line with where with where we need to be. Um, it's uh, it's just an issue of uh, waiting on them. Waiting on the Dominican Republic, waiting on the factory to get back up to uh, get back up to snuff and and you know nobody's more eager to get that done than us 
um, because our business this year has been insane. Um, our volume has been great, uh, double-digit growth. Um, so we, we've had some some insane numbers coming through this year, and we need the capacity. You know, so uh, I'm 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 really looking forward to getting back to where we were. But I'm I'm as savvy about it as you are uh, in terms of what the Dominican Republic's going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm just hoping it cleans up cleans itself up. Hopefully by summer we'll see some laxness. And then hopefully by the end of the year, we'll be back and caught up fully. And the back order will be resolved at that time too. Is your hope or, or do you think that'll be lasting longer? Yeah, that's no, that's our hope. That's our hope. The, 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 the real issue is, you know, you go into quarter three, that's a high consumption quarter um, where we see some of our biggest numbers. Um, so that's going to put us back a little bit with the PCA trade show plus um, just pe- it's summertime and people are working uh, and people are smoking and people are golfing. And so those high consumption quarters get after us a little bit anyway. So I'm hoping it'll come together. Right. There is at least one new skew that you guys are introducing, but it's not an, it's, it's a very limited one. And that's of course the, the latest TAA release that you all are doing, which is a box press again, another box mm-hmm. press, uh, but for the famed uh, 605 uh, Woodlawn uh, blend. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So that was a TAA exclusive from, uh, from this year. Um, it was a, uh, Box press the same exact blend as the original original 685 Woodlawn, which is Glenn's uh, childhood address. Um, and we just said, you know, what would smoke nice? That. <laughs> and so we just kind of did it that way. Uh, and once we smoked some samples and stuff, we were like, oh yeah, this is it. So uh, it's it's a beautiful, well packaged. It's an excellent, excellent blend. It's got a Ecuadorian Habano. It has Nicaraguan Habano. It has Dominican Nicaraguan fillers. It's really, really nice um, in, in that great box press Toro Vitola. So I'm, uh, we couldn't be more happy with how that came out for TAA. And the retailers have loved it too. So just to shift gears here for a second, Jared, I, I, I really, I would really like, I, 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 it'll be kind of hard to recapture the, uh, the magic that was on this uh, particular interview that you did, but you were, Last year, you were on a uh, on a show. Uh, How about that cigar? So I know Matt and Garrett very well, and I mean, I, I've listened to, I've re-listened to that show several times. Uh, I mean, you had me in stitches as you had in those guys and the entire audience. It was, it was awesome. Some of your uh, some of your soapboxes on a couple of items, including everything from sous vide uh, to your your penchant for arguing with people, uh, <laughs> um, and. I, I don't want to necessarily go, like I said, it'd be really kind of hard to recapture the magic, but I, it would, it would honor me. And I think our audience would find it insanely entertaining. If you could tell the story about your flat tire, um, I would, I would, I, I, I think I would just love to hear it again. Uh, if you could, if you, if you would, if you would permit me that, uh, that, 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 that ask, I would love to hear you regurgitate that story. I thought, I mean, I was, I was dying. I was absolutely dying. Yeah, that so that uh, people that may not know me, I do argue pretty. I'll die on a hill uh, for not for like, not really for like important things, but for like dumb things. I I will just not tolerate if I feel like I'm getting worked. I will not tolerate it. Um, 
and it all kind of came to a head. It's hard to argue with people in Texas. It's very easy to argue with people in Boston. Um, you get an argument at 8 a.m. at Dunkin' Donuts uh, when she hands you a coffee and you say, this isn't what I ordered. And she's like, I think it is. And you're like, oh, I would fucking know because I was there and this is what I drink every day. And, you know, so it's it's very it's very different. But so when 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 I had first moved to Texas, I, I had a infinity that I was driving uh, sports like a, a sports car, like the two door ones, the red sport edition, like whatever, some magic thing. And so I had, I had gone to it. I had gone to the dealer because my tire was, was, uh, leaking. And I drove, I noticed that my tire was leaking. I drove to the dealer that morning from my house and, uh, I get to the dealer and they say, Oh, we'll plug it. So they plug it. Give me a rental car. I drive home. I go back to the dealership to pick up my car. It's all plugged. It's all set, whatever, 20 bucks or whatever it was to plug it. And so I drive from there to a cigar shop, uh, maybe 30 minutes. And um, I get to the cigar shop. And when I finish, I come out and my tire is flat again. And so I call the dealership and I say, hey, my tire is flat again. I just left. You guys plugged it. And they say, oh, okay, we'll send somebody. And I figured they would send somebody with a flatbed to pick up my car because the tire just went flat on that exact ride. And uh, instead, they sent some kid in a courtesy vehicle. And he was like, oh, I'm just going to drive it back to the dealership. And I'm like, well, it, I mean, it literally just went flat on this exact fucking drive. I'm like, so he had an air compressor on the passenger seat. And he's like, no, I'm going to fill it. And I'm like, I don't think you understand how tire leaks work. Like, you're going to fill it. And then because it's leaking, the air is just going to come right back out. And I don't imagine it's going to do it slower on this ride now that it's already leaked more. And so the kid was like, whatever, I'm just a fucking guy who drives here with a compressor. And I'm like, all right, well, just remember, I told you this. So, so whatever, I get in the courtesy vehicle, I'm lamenting this guy about what an idiot these dealer, this dealership is. And the dealership's motto is like, you know, service is our passion or something like that. And I'm like, these people, whatever. <laughs> so anyways, so I go back, they call, they call me and they say, oh, um, well, you're, uh, we have to get you a new tire. Um, and your rim is kind of bent. And I'm like, do you know why? And they're like, why? And I'm like, because you're a fucking idiot with a compressor drove the car with a flat tire back to your dealership. And it went, and it went flat again. And he bent the rim and popped the tire. I'm like, how come you could plug it three days ago, but now it's unpluggable because your guy ruined it. And so they were like, whatever, the tire is going to be like $600. And I'm like, for the tire? And he's like, yeah, for the tire. $600. I'm like, All right. Yeah, it was some nitrogen filled shit, whatever. Like, you can go to get nitrogen, right? Like, if I was to get a flat, whatever. So I'm like, I'm not, I'm like, that's ridiculous. So I'm like, what's the part number? So he gives me the part number. I put it in infinity.com comes up and it's 300 bucks on infinity.com their corporate website and so i said can i text you something he goes yeah and i sent it to him and he goes oh i'm sorry sir we don't price match i'm like you don't price match who you you don't you don't price match yourself this is infinity.com i called an infinity dealership and he goes i'm like how about i just order it and it shows up and you put it on the rim and he goes fine we'll just do the price adjustment i'm like all right thank you so i show up there and I'm like, all right, they charged me 300 bucks. I put the tire on, even though it was their fault. The rim was holding the air, so it wasn't really that bent. So that was fine. 
And so uh, I'm like, I just want to, I'm talking to the service manager and I'm like, I just want to just make sure you refund me for the plug that you put in. That was not a plug. And he's like, and he's like, oh, we can either price match the tire or do the plug. And I'm like, why the fuck would this be mutually exclusive? I'm like, you plug my tire. It was not plugged. I'm like, and then you tried to charge me $600 from a tire and told me you couldn't price match yourself. I'm like, so I'm like, I'm getting my 20 bucks back. And he's like, no, you're not. And I'm like, I am getting my 20 bucks. back. And then anyways, it went on and on and on. And at this point, I'm thinking I'm going to go learn fucking Japanese and fly to Japan to argue about this for the rest of my life, this $20. And so I ended up, I ended up uh, calling, I found somebody that knew the general manager of all of these dealerships and they ended up and they ended and I ended up calling the general manager on like her cell phone, her personal cell phone. And I was like, this is what the degenerates at your service department are doing to me. And she was like, what do you, she literally was like, what do you want? And I'm like, I want a free tire and a free rim. And I never want to talk to anybody from your dealership ever again. And she goes, well, if we do that, please come back, blah, blah, blah. And it ended up all getting resolved. But I was going to, but then I ended up like just giving them the car back. I was like, no, you can just keep it. <laughs> um, just, I want you to, I, I want you to terminate my lease and I'm, um, and I'm done. And they ended up just taking it back. I, I, I was so, I was so furious, but I was like, I'm going to get a job at infinity in service and work my way up through this company to become an executive. So I can fire the people that wronged me on this issue, because there is no, <laughs> I have nothing but money and time and I will ruin everyone's life associated with popping my fucking tire. I was so mad but these are the kind of things that seem to happen to me on a pretty regular basis like <laughs> where it's like am i the only sane person in this conversation and it, it was bad it was bad i wasn't as i'm not as pissed now as i was when i did that interview so it's uh you know a little different the uh, inflection i bet but oh man i was fired up they, those guys got me all worked up on that show well, like I said, I thought it would be really hard to kind of recapture the magic for sure. But I mean, that that story, I mean, I, I mean, I was I mean, I was I mean, I'm listening and I'm I'm wa- I'm walking in my neighborhood listening to this. And I'm I mean, I'm just la- I mean, literally laughing out loud and I am fucking dying. And it's just it was and I've had I've had so many experiences like this, too, uh, where I yeah, it's not about the 20 bucks. Uh, it's, 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 it's the, it's the principle. I know that, 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 that's, that's a tired expression, but, uh, no pun intended, but like, (laughs) that's an, it's, it's not a, it's not about the $20 at all. It's about like you doing the right thing. Like it, and, and that, I mean, that's clear. I mean, you, you practice what you preach, Jared. I mean, you, you really push your, you push your sales team to, to be above it and to, and to do the right thing and everything. And you just, all you're asking for it's just a little bit of that in return. It's really not that much to ask. Um, so the uh, the uh, the other thing that kind of came up in this 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 particular interview was um, was your was your love of sous vide. Now I won't ask you to go through the whole diatribe again in that one, but the, the, the tire story was pretty epic. But um, when did you start like sous videing? meat and stuff like there's this something you researched on and you still suddenly got into or is it something you've been into for a while because you know in the land of texas where we take our meat pretty seriously i mean that is i mean that is sacrilege in a lot of ways um but uh i just i was curious like when when this kind of started for you did you do some research or 
into it or and get into it or what? Yeah, I've I've I've, I've always been into cooking. My, my fiance's a, a fucking horrible cook. Uh, just just uh, abysmal, like you read about. Um, and and uh, so I've always done all the cooking in the house. And uh, so I I started. I've never been like a big, like go outside and fucking, you know, denim shorts and grill. And it's not really me. So I was like, I, I started doing some research on, you know, I, I was getting into cook, some French cooking techniques and things like that. And I discovered sous vide. And so I got into it a, a while ago. And then now it became, it became like really popular all of a sudden. Um, but it was really good for like prepping a bunch of food at once. And, 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 you know, if you want to just cook something perfectly every time through the miracles of modern science, uh, this is the perfect solution for you. You know, you put it in, it cooks it to the perfect temperature, edge to edge, medium rare, whatever you want. And then you put it in a pan and finish it with butter and garlic and rosemary or whatever. And you're done. And it's, it's, and it's done perfectly every time. So, um, then I started getting all this hate from these people who were like, that's not a manly way to cook. I need to stand over my grill in 15 degree weather sweat, you know, or 90 degree weather sweating into my family's fucking hamburgers <laughs> to be a real man. And it's like, listen to how fucking stupid you sound. It's unbelievable. And all of these guys, all these internet guys too. Like I did like a multi-person like, zoom thing during the pandemic or whatever and some of these guys who i i don't even know who they are but they were on this call and they were like you know that's not really how you cook blah 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 and i'm like oh you mean perfectly well done in the exact way to the degree of scientific certainty that it's cooked perfectly like that's not how you cook like uh, explain to me how your way of sweating into your family's fucking meat is a better <laughs> is a better way explain to me right like I, I, the only salute, it's, it's kind of like, you know, the only reason is if you just say, oh, I like doing, it. I like putting on my denim jeans and my denim shorts and my new balance sneakers and standing in front of my grill. And that's the only excuse for why it's better because by every empirical measure, it is not better. And so anyways, so, uh, I started getting all this flack for it. And now all of a sudden, because I went on that one rant. I'm like the poster child for, you know, the first world civilization versus fucking cave dwellers. <laughs> and so anyways, I'm not, you know, I don't think you're an idiot if you grill, but I think you're an idiot if you argue with people who don't grill. I mean, what a stupid, lame thing to be upset about. But uh, anyway, anyways, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to get too, too deep down the rabbit hole here, but that was the gist of that rant on that thing. But I, yeah, so I do all the cooking in the house, and I and I like doing it the that way. <laughs> gotcha. No, that's no. It was it was hilarious. Yeah, I mean, you had me at absolute stitches, Jared. It was it was like I said, it, once in a lifetime kind of catching the magic. But you, I, I think I appreciate you kind of reinvented a little bit of it here tonight. So I think you, uh, on behalf of my audience, it definitely is uh, entertaining for sure. But um, that kind of leads us into our, our next segment, which is our one must go segment, which is actually uh, brought to you by United Cigars, uh, featuring Glagiana Havana and distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabay and Byron line. So smoke one today and start living united now uh jerry we talked a little bit about this before the show you were on take 46 
And this is, this is a relatively newer segment. We've been doing it for about a year now. And the idea is I give you three things and one has to go to the curb. You have to kick one to the curb. So I try to center this around my guests, something that some things that my, my guest is either known for or really enjoys. And in this case, I pick three things that I feel you really enjoy. And so I, I didn't want to get too, too general. I got really specific on these things. It's very specific to these three things. And uh, one's kind of general, but the other two are very, very specific to something specific. So here are your three things. Hope you're ready. All right. So your three items are smoke a JT signature, argue with someone, which is the general one. And then third is sous vide another steak. Now you can sous vide chicken, you can sous vide fish, you can sous vide vegetables, it's fine. You can smoke any other Kristoff product, but you can't smoke another JT signature, you can't sous vide another steak, or you can't argue with someone. Which goes to the curb? What's What gets the vote from Jerry Trudeau? Um, so it's smoke a JT, sous vide steak, or argue with people? Yes, sir. Um, I think the sous vide has to go. I, I, I really do. I love, I love, <laughs> I love smoking my cigars. <laughs> I, I love truly my first love in life is arguing with people <laughs> and, and then, and then sous vide, I'll just do cook meat a regular way if, if necessary. I, I think the sous vide has to go. Those are very difficult choices though. That's like my Sophie's choice would be those three. <laughs> Probably it's that's that's really tough. <laughs> you'll you'll re, you'll rejoin the cavemen, is what you're saying. I, w I I don't have a grill. I will. You will find no grill <laughs> at this house. And it's not some sort of passive protest. Just I don't need it because I can cook whatever I want to a scientific degree of perfection. Um, so why would I need a grill where I just have to like poke it? and find out if it's done so it's so this is so this is uh yeah i think i could give up the sous vide though uh over arguing with people um uh, because that's a, a rare talent well smoking your cigar needs no introduction or no excuse or anything but what is it about your passion for arguing with people what why do you enjoy it so much i don't like arguing with people i i love it it's it it's it's <laughs> And I don't do it on purpose. I don't provoke people. But very often, the, the people that try to get in arguments are either, they don't belong there. They, they just don't belong in the conversation. They don't belong in the argument. And so I just think it's, I just think it's really funny. I just think it's, it's like a little source of delight for me when somebody, and this isn't work. This is like all in my regular life customer service interactions, things like that, where somebody will say something that's so outlandish and ridiculous. And I will spend an almost unlimited amount of time and energy explaining to them why what they just said is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And out back home, back home, everybody else has the same passion for that. You know, like I said, the example with the Dunkin' Donuts lady, this is, oh no, this is what you ordered. Oh, you're right. Uh, all of a sudden after, 30 plus years of ordering this coffee, um, I have now decided today would be the day I would change things up. You're, you're totally right. You know, and it, like, I, uh, you're right. I said something I've literally never said in my entire life. At Dunkin Donuts. Like, I, like that's, 
that to me is just like high comedy. So I, I couldn't give it up. I couldn't, I couldn't give it up. And, and Marissa, well, she does get irritated with it sometimes because I, I don't argue with her a lot, but I, when she sees, she knows when it's going to happen. You know, like she, somebody will say something and she'll just grab my arm and be like, don't go in on this. And I'm like, I, it is my holy duty it's to, uh, <laughs> it is my, it is my sacred duty. I am a crusader against morons and I will, and I, I have to get in the mud. Like I remember, I remember when we first moved to Texas, we have Nebraska Furniture Mart, right? Which is a 1 billion square foot home store that has you know couches and beds and living rooms and everything and every everything and when i left new england i sold everything and bought everything new from nebraska furniture mart for to furnish a whole house and so when the way it works is you you go up you schedule your delivery for the food on the phone with somebody so they said you go up you wait in line you schedule your delivery for all of the furniture. And then the furniture guy on the phone who's in the corporate office or whatever says, okay, go up to the lady again and you can complete your thing and we'll give you a receipt with the shipping confirmation. And so I go back up to this lady and she, this nice little Southern lady at the, at the customer service thing. And I say, hey, the guy told me to come back up to see you. Uh, I scheduled my delivery. And she goes, okay next and she next me like over my head like i'm fucking patrick swayze and ghost like and i'm like and marissa is standing behind me and she literally turns around to face a different direction and i'm like excuse me am i fucking bothering you and she's like what <laughs> and i'm like and i'm like am i bothering you because you just next to me over my head like i didn't just say something to you and your guy on the phone told me to come and talk to you. I'm like, so if I'm, if I'm bothering you, I apologize, but why don't you tell me instead what I should be doing so that you can provide customer service as the giant fucking sign above you says you are willing to provide. And she's like, and she's like, I'm like, or you could do this. You could call upstairs, get a manager and have him come down and watch me shred this $10,000 worth of furniture that I'm buying from you. And then I can explain to him why that it was entirely your fault because you nexted me over my head like I wasn't standing. And she was like, sir, I am so sorry. And I'm like, yeah, you are. But she, she gets a manager. The manager comes down and he bought us a Swarovski or Tiffany uh, fucking wine decanter and wine glass set for my trouble. And as we're walking out with the receipt, Marissa's like, did you have to do that? And I'm carrying my decanter and everything. And I'm like, I think we're going to do great here, babe. I think we're great here in Texas. <laughs> she is like, oh my gosh. But by and large, people are very nice and I don't have to do it as much here. But back home, <laughs> it was uh, really a necessity. <laughs> I'm taking you with me next time I go to Nebraska Furniture Mart. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know those people. I know those people's numbers. So, uh, Jared, really appreciate that was our that was our one must go segment. So the sous vide state goes because war arguing with people is a is is more than a like it is a love it is a passion, 
and you could not give that up. And then obviously you're not going to give up your own uh, JT signature. So, uh, but you're in your, in your word, Sophie's choice. So I, I did a good job of, of giving you some hard choices here tonight. So um, as always, our, our one must go is, is, is brought to you by uh, United Cigars featuring La Giana Havana, distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabay and Byron line. So smoke one today and start living United. Now, um, Jared, this next segment is, is something that's, has become something near and dear to my heart. And I was, I was, I, I was really moved and I was really excited about uh, the, the issue uh, that you brought up. Uh, so this is the time of the evening where we, uh, we talk about uh, since, since October, since my birthday, I launched this new segment in which I am featuring a charity or a nonprofit of my guest choice every week. And uh, I give you, uh, I give my guests the opportunity to talk about something that, that matters to them outside of the cigar world, outside of their own world, even necessarily sometimes uh, to kind of spotlight, highlight and potentially raise uh, some money for. And so uh, uh, I'm going to step away for just a second, Jared, and I want you uh, to take the take the floor here and uh, and talk about uh, I'm going to do a quick brief introduction, but I want you to take the floor here and talk about why this is so important to you personally and uh, and and, and uh, why you chose to spotlight it tonight. So you selected uh, Calsa Aid International specifically. Now, Calsa Inter-Aid, Calsa Inter-Aid International, excuse me, um, ha- is a wonderful organization that uh, that uh, delivers funds and resources to enormous amount of causes around the world. And uh, specifically, you chose uh, the farmers' protests that are going on in India right now. This is started last year, uh, the passing of a series of three laws uh, leading in, has led into this, this month-long, uh, almost a year-long protest at this time, uh, has led to deaths and suicide. I mean, it is a very, very serious matter. I myself did not know, uh, I knew of, of it, um, but as I was as I was researching more and more for the show tonight, Jared, uh, I mean, you are bringing about a serious issue that needs attention to it. I'm so excited. Um, excited is the wrong word, but I'm I'm thrilled that you're bringing this uh, to my show tonight. So I'd, I'd love to give you the uh, give you the the platform and please take it away. Um, okay, um, yeah. So uh, this. This Calsa Aid project, um, they provide uh, they provide aid all around the world um, and to uh, to a lot of different causes. Um, but the one that I'm focusing on and the one that we've donated to um, spe- specializes in uh, in the farmers' protests. So what what Bear had kind of alluded to is uh, India passed uh, these three laws, which are kind of like reminiscent of like the intolerable acts uh, from the United States history, um, like the Tea Act and things like that. Um, And basically what it's done to the state of Punjab, which is a very small state, but it's responsible for a a really, really uh, high percentage of the agricultural exports. And even independently of that, it's almost entirely, its economy is almost entirely based on agriculture. Um, so above and beyond what it does for the rest of the state, it 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 uh, for for themselves, for their culture, for their people, it's entirely their the way that they make a living. Um, there's obviously other industries, but it's but it's the majority of what uh, most Punjabis and most Sikhs in that region do. Um, and what the Indian government did was they passed these laws 
and I'm not going to get like too into the weeds in it, but basically making it harder for uh, the farmers in that region to uh, to do their jobs, uh, harder for them to sell their crops. Uh, they basically um, semi-privatized um, the buying for crops. So what the Punjabi farmers used to be able to do is go to the government and there would be a fixed rate um, that, that the government would, these government stations would pay for their crops. Um, and they eliminated that. So now instead of uh, in a free market economy, like here, um, where maybe that would drive prices up or make it more competitive there, they relied on, uh, they relied on that flat fee, that floor price um, as stability for being able to sell their crops. Um, and that's been eliminated. Um, their ability to get water, India, the, uh, the, the rest of India um, has been stealing water from the Punjabi state and basically treating them like second-class citizens um, because uh, you know it, it, they're being persecuted for religious reasons, they're being persecuted for class reasons um, and, and, all, and all, all sorts of different, um, different reasons uh, that India has constantly tried to take from the Punjabi state and from the Punjabi state. And uh, so the farmers in protest of these laws, um, like hundreds of thousands of Punjabi farmers and Sikhs uh, from all around um, have protested in major cities in India um, to try to get relief from these taxes, which they feel are punitive um, and are gonna destroy the farming industry, which is most of, uh, which, is, which is the, affects the majority of Punjabis. Um, and so Khalsa Aid is doing a lot um, independently of the protest and those tax things that I'm talking about. I mean, they're providing oxygen bottles during the COVID pandemic um, to uh, lesser served parts of, the, uh, parts of the country and things like that. But I saw firsthand when I was in India, um, how difficult it is for a lot of these farmers to make a living. Um, being in a, a small village surrounded by uh, tenement farmers and subsistence farmers, um, I've got a chance to tour um, a lot of these farms and see these people who are, like I said, in there, uh, some of them are over a hundred years old. I mean, I met uh, one family all living together in a small house um, that farmed uh, the land around the, the house that we were staying in, in the village. And one brother was 104, the other one was in his 90s, the other one was in his 80s. And the 104-year-old brother took me out into the field and cut sugar cane so that I could try it. And they're still farming to this day, running around doing all this stuff. And this is all they have. Um, and, and the way that it works there is they pay their tax on the land, whether they sell all of their crops or they don't, whether it's a good yield or whether it's not. And having this floor tax, being able to sell the being able to sell their crops directly to the state or to the city or to the uh, country, rather, I'm, I'm sorry, um, to the country, gave them the ability to be able to plan what they were going to make for the year based on the yield that they had. And now that that's been cut away from them, they really don't have the ability to continue living the way that they're living. And also, there's almost no social mobility, so they won't be able to just, it's not like they can just go get another job if their family has lived and farmed on these lands for generations. And now they just can't sell their crops or make the enough money to survive based on these crops. So uh, callsaid.org um, 
it's a it's it's really really uh, a, a good cause, not just for the Punjabi farmers, not just for the farmers' protest, but they do good work all around the world. Um, but I, uh, given the experience that I had there and the people that I know there, um, and and the way I was treated and the way that I saw uh, people live there. Um, they're happy to be doing what they're doing, happy to be farming. And all they're asking for from their government is to uh, be able to continue doing that and to continue feeding their families and, 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 and millions of other families in India. So uh, that's, the, that's the charity that I wanted to spotlight, KhalsaAid.org. And, and if you have a second to check it out and uh, maybe donate to help provide some relief to these uh, farmers who are now not working their lands, but are protesting the Indian government for relief and for equality and to be treated like uh, Indian citizens. Um, I'd really appreciate it. Jared, I can't thank you enough for, for bringing this issue up tonight. Um, it's, it, it's something, like I said, that I was aware of, um, you know, but it, it, it clearly it clearly needs to be spotlighted because this is a this is an entire I mean, India is one of the most populous countries in the world. And this is a very large population of that massive population that is being affected. And uh, one of the things and I and I put the link to donate in tonight's chat um, later tonight, uh, Jared, as, as as I've pledged each and every week to all of my guests, uh, my wife and I will actually be donating in in uh, a small amount to uh, Calsa International um, in your honor uh, for bringing this to our attention. I think it's, uh, again, it's an amazing cause and everything. But uh, one of the things that I wanted to just comment on, and I'll, I'll get your thoughts on it as well, is, um, you know, this is, um, like you said, this is affecting, this is, this is affecting, you know, families, yes, but it's, it's, it's families that are, you know, two, three, four generations in this point are, are, are still working in the fields. Uh, just just trying to provide a life, not even a better life, but just the, the life that they've always led. They don't want anything different. They don't want anything more. They just want something. Uh, they just wanted the same. What I, the silver lining that I will, will kind of objectively try to put around this is, is, is the international attention that it's brought and also the, that it is getting, it seems to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, it seems to have gotten the attention of the Indian government. And it's gotten a lot of, I mean, there's there's cases being heard by their Supreme Court now or are scheduled to be heard by their Supreme Court. And so hopefully they will receive the the relief that they're looking for. And and and, and, and uh, there will be a repeal of these these uh, these monopolizing laws. So what have, what's been your assessment so far of how it's progressed? <laughs> Um, well, it's, I mean, as the weather changes and as crop and as their ability to continue to do what they're doing, um, wanes, um, it, it's, it's, yeah. Are there promising developments? Yeah. And, and it has gotten a lot of international attention, but the reality is the Indian government has the Indian government has been, uh, taking from the Punjabi state and has been, subjugating them and stealing from them and, and treating them like second-class citizens because of their religion for a very, very long time, uh, since the colonial days and even before. Um, so um, it, it, it's really a systemic problem it, within, the Indians, within the Indian government um, for how these Punjabis are being treated. And I hope that the international community does come to their aid and does rally and, and continue to create exposure for this uh, because 
if 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 left on their own recognizance, the Sikhs are doing an unbelievable job. The Punjabs are doing an unbelievable job uh, of of um, making sure their voices are heard in spite of the media cutting them out, in spite of everything in the Indian government doing what they can to suppress their voices. Um, but it, it's important that countries like the United States and and uh, and other members of the international community that do wield influence uh, pay more attention to what's going on because um, we would never allow uh, we would never allow you know these kind of things to drop on people without representation, without their voices being heard. The, the media, everybody has kind of a fair shake, I think, in our media. Um, there's a channel you can watch if you feel one way. There's a channel you can watch if you feel another way. It's not like that in India with state-owned media outlets and things like that. So um, I think that uh, it, whatever we can do to bring some exposure to it and to what Modi is doing to the Punjabi state, I think is important. Again, thank you, Jared. I really, I, I'm so appreciative of you for bringing this issue to my show. I think it, like I said, it's, it was something that I was definitely moved by. Um, when you, when you, when you sent it over to me, I was, I was, I was, I was blown away. And I, I you know, I, I, as I thought about it, I figured out why, you know, why this was such an important issue to you, but I, I really, I think it's, it was really great for you to kind of illustrate it tonight. So thank you very much. Uh, you guys can check KhalsaAidInternational.org. Uh, Again, the link is in the chat. It'll be in the show notes. Please consider donating to this fabulous cause. Um, it, it's something that, you know, is, you know, affects not only families at the small scale, but it affects a country in a larger scale. And this is in a, this is an international issue. Uh, make no mistake about it. It does affect us here at home in the United States as well. Uh, you know, you know, India being one of uh, top three popula population in terms of population uh, in the world. Um, and it's, it's, it's something that, uh, that needs to be, uh, that needs to be resolved and soon in, in, in a positive way um, so that uh, people can get back to work and these people can get back to the way that they've been doing things for generations. Um, so thank you, Jared. I really appreciate it. Um, moving on uh, to, uh, I guess, a more, uh, on a happier note, uh, one of the reasons this issue was actually brought up uh, to you was it was your experience, like you said, when you went to India and you uh, got to take part, you were in a wedding party of this, this wonderful wedding and this beautiful people and wonderful people and wonderful family. Uh, 800 people in attendance strong. I still can't blow my mind. Um, but uh, something else happened in, in, in recently in the last, since the last time you and I spoke, and that was, uh, that was you actually uh, getting down on one knee too, and you uh, you asking uh, your wonderful girlfriend to marry you. And uh, uh, despite all of us wondering why, she said yes. But <laughs> uh, but it was actually I mean you I mean that was an adventure in itself. I mean um, not to get to uh, I mean this isn't the knot. This is Elos Fumar takes. But I, I'd love to hear just a little bit about that story and how you decided to do it and, and the way it went down and the way it went down. Yeah. So, um, we, uh, we've been together for a long time and, uh, we're going to Maui, uh, on vacation. And that's like one of like two places in the world that you can't go on vacation with your significant other. You've been with for a long time without proposing. I think Maui and Paris are the two places you can't go on vacation to and not have your girlfriend expect you to propose. But Marissa, to, to, to maybe 
buck that trend. Marissa had no expectation that I was going to propose because I am not a particularly uh, sentimental, romantic guy. Um, so it was just a regular trip. Uh, and I ended up um, uh, trying to get her like dream ring in in advance and get that designed and get, get that to me and, and uh, hide it in my socks or whatever. And then uh, we went out to Maui and I rented this like, um, it's like a cliff, uh, which I didn't even know you could rent, but I found a way to do it. And uh, we had a table set up there with torches and flowers and everything. And a uh, uh, private chef came in and cooked us a five course meal of all stuff that we liked and hand delivered every course and kind of, uh, yeah. And then um, when we first met, she was living in Australia. Um, she was, when we first met, she was living in Rhode Island, but then she lived in Australia for about six months. Um, and uh, when she was coming back from Australia, I told her to um, bring me back a few cigars from the duty free that I was asking for. So I had some, you know, like Monte Cristo number fours from Cuban Monte Cristo number fours that uh, she had given me when we first moved back, when she first moved back in with me uh, from Australia. And uh, I had saved two of them and brought them with me on the trip. So we smoked these, you know, three or four year old Monte Cristo number fours and this cliff during sunset in Maui. I mean, it was like as good. If she could have bitched about one thing, I would have probably pushed her off the cliff. I mean, I did everything I could have possibly done to make it good. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it worked out. It worked out really well. It worked out really well. And so we're going to go back every year now and, and back to Maui once the world stops ending and continue that celebration, you know? Beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. Um, congratulations to you and Marissa uh, to, to many, many years of happiness for you too. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. So just to uh, go back uh, to continue this, this kind of personal uh, journey a little bit, um, before we talk about PCA 2021 that's coming up, I mean, hot as you know it, uh, coming up here in about six, uh, six weeks or so, um, wanted to talk about the last trade show that you and I, I'm, I'm wrapping up the JT signature that you, that you gave me, uh, during that, uh, during that trade show. And it's just smoking phenomenal. Love it with two years of age. It's gorgeous. Um, but, um, one of the things that I, I the reason I was really excited to welcome you back, Jared is, um, you know, I, I would say that you and I know each other, uh, uh, you know, acquaintance level, we know each other pretty well. Um, but, um, I, and I've always had enormous amount of respect for you and everything, but um, you did something for me. And this, this is something that I told you about in the green room before we start tonight's show that you probably have forgotten about since, but as soon as I tell the story, you'll, you'll remember, uh, but you may not realize uh, how much it meant to me and what you did for me. Um, it was the last day of the trade show. And I'm just, I'm just happened to be walking by the Christoph booth. I'm not even going to the booth and you, you grab me. You're like, bear, you got to come here real quick. And you, you grab me, you pull me aside and you're like, Hey bear, I want to show you something. And, uh, you pull up your, you pull up, you pull up Facebook and you pull up this profile that was not me, did not have my name on it. Um, but it was my profile picture, uh, asking you for a friend request. And it's since, uh, added a lot of my friends to this, to this, uh, uh, to this fake profile. And there's, there's pictures of me with my family. There were pictures of my kids. And, 
I mean, needless to say, it, it rattled me. Uh, it, it rattled me hard and you brought it to my attention and you're like, Hey man, uh, whatever I can do, whatever you need, just wanted to, just wanted to, I'm glad, I'm glad I ran into you. I really wanted to tell you about this. And, um, um, you know, you know, for all the complaints about Facebook, I, I reported it, it got taken down before the, the last day of the trade show even ended. And it was, it was, it was all thanks to you. And, and for me personally, I, I I can't thank you enough for what you did for me that day. Um, I'm I'm still I still kind of get worked up about it. I still it's still very emotional for me because I mean that's my family. Those are my children, and uh, even if for one you know even for a few moments if they were being exploited for whatever con this person was going to dream up and and it was uh, it was very jarring and um, and I, I I I'm I'm indebted to you. I really am. I know that sounds extreme, but I I'm. It, it, it meant so much to me and I, I, I can't thank you enough. And like I said, you probably don't even remember it, but, uh, but it, it, it meant so much to me. So, th so thank you. I wanted to take this opportunity to thank you. Yeah, of course. I, 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 uh, I do remember, uh, and it bothered me as soon as I saw it. So I made a note in my calendar that I to track you down or to message you and let you know what was going on. And then I, I happened to see you before I got a chance to message you. I was hoping I'd see you at the trade show. And uh, yeah, if I saw my family up there and stuff like that, a picture of my kids, whatever it was for, it wasn't good. And so I wanted to make sure I tracked you down and, and got ahead of it before it got crazy because it, they only had a few mutual friends at that time or something, but I knew it was weird that, and I knew it wasn't something you would have made an extra profile or something. So I'm glad we got it taken down that quick and, yeah yeah i thought it was weird so but yeah no no thanks needed man that was uh that was uh what i think anyone would do you know definitely very scary so uh, but but to thank you again jared i really appreciate it so to 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 to, to pivot to this uh this trade show upcoming is uh is christoph planning a, a return to uh, pca 2021 and uh will uh if if that's the case will will Christoph's presence look different, the same. Um, what, what's what's the plans for the trade show that's upcoming here in a few weeks? Yeah, we're uh, we're absolutely gonna uh, attend. Um, I think even <coughs> excuse me when we have uh, when we have losses uh, legislatively or there's a lot of pressure legislatively, the industry really comes together. Um, towards fighting it. And I think even when we have victories or postponements or something like that, we have to realize that it's never going to be better. Uh, you know, it's never, it's never going to be uh, resolved positively um, as long as it's a product that has some sort of stigma around it. Um, so I think it's important for us to always support the organization, especially given the fact that, you know, the vast majority, if not all of its revenue comes from supporting the trade show. Um, and so we're going to be there. We'll be there in the same configuration that we've been in years past. Uh, it's it's expensive for us. Uh, it costs a lot of money, but I think it's uh, I think an industry that's given so much to all of us. We have to continue to give back to it. Um, so yeah, um, we'll be there. We'll be there with the full team and and the same booth size. And um, you know we've we've contemplated sort of redesigning the booth and uh, changing things up. We're we're not doing it this year, but. Um, maybe in years to come, maybe we'll uh, have a different configuration or something, but our support for the organization, if anything, has stepped up this year. I've uh, stepped up to be a title sponsor for the, uh, or to be one of the 
major sponsors for the uh, trade show this year. Uh, we've paid for banner ads. We've done uh, legislative outreach, breakout sessions and stuff like that. We've sponsored. Um, we paid for e-blast and newsletters and all kinds of things. So we've really allocated resources this year to the organization that we hadn't in years past. Um, so uh, yeah, I think it's as important as ever uh, to continue to support the industry. Jared, this may seem like a really trivial question, and uh, but um, I just wanted to see, uh, just wanted to get your your take on this particularly. There's a number of companies that they were planning on not attending in 2020. Uh, we, you know, the big headlines of the big four not not attending that year, and um, and uh, that 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 is carrying through to 2021. And there's actually going to be several companies that have pulled out uh, that won't be attending as well. Um, why was it so important for Christoph to stand by the PCA? And uh, you know, was there ever any consideration in to not do so? Yeah, no, not not really. Um, we, it's been an important part of our business for 15 years, uh, exhibiting and and bringing our team and seeing all of our accounts and. Um, I don't think I, again, in the same way that we tried to, you know, be the, be the kind of people people want to do business with in our daily interactions with our accounts. Uh, I think, you know, the industry has supported us and PCA has supported us in our interests legislatively and, uh, and, and, and our constituent, our, our, our customers, uh, it has supported their interests. Um, and do they, you know, are there, you know, notable instances where, um, you know, there could be misalignments or there could be things that the, that, that, uh, you know, I'm sure there are shops out there that feel like their voices weren't heard or their things like that, but by and large, as a, as a manufacturer and distributor, PCA has done for us, um, pretty much all of the deliverables that they said that they were going to set out to do. And they've worked really hard and diligently in the background to do these things, as well as providing us an opportunity to network with our customers, which we really don't have otherwise. So in the same way that we try to do the right thing as business people for our customers inside of our infrastructure, I think we also have to be the kind of manufacturer that's worth supporting, right? Uh, we're part of this trade organization. They work hard to support us and to try to make sure that we have a business to continue to go to and to continue to conduct. Um, and I think we have some duty to be worthy of, of representation in that way and, and of the spending of the industry's money on fighting these legal battles. And because uh, if we all had to do it individually, it would be, it'd be very difficult. Um, so I have not picked up any misalignment in the message that PCA is putting forward with uh, the message that we have, uh, which is we've got to win these legal battles, we got to continue to support brick and mortar retailers, and we have to continue to fight for uh, you know lower taxes on the state level and and uh, more freedoms for these business operators to do what they need or what they feel they need in their markets. And PCA provides the infrastructure for that stuff. So I think um, for us to step back in any way or or uh, you know, lax in our support wouldn't really be smart. I, I don't think it'd be good for us. I don't think it's good 
organization. And I think it's immediately evident who it hurts um, if, if we were to step back, especially given the hole that was, that was created by the big four stepping out and, and all that stuff, uh, that piss and match, um, that all of that, I mean, it's, it's the prerogative of these smaller manufacturers and, and mid-sized manufacturers to step up and, uh, and, and increase their support. So that's what we've tried to do our little piece. We can't, make up for any one of these companies. We can't make up for half of any one of these companies leaving, but we can certainly do our part. Um, and that's what, that's what we're trying to do. So yeah, we'll be, we'll be. I'll be in attendance as well. And I'm looking forward to seeing you there. I'm really excited that, uh, that Christoph has uh, kind of stepped up as you, as you've said, and, uh, and, and become a, even more involved that they have in years past. Uh, I'm curious though, in the conversations that you've had with Glenn or even private thoughts in yourself, I mean, what, what's the expectation level of participation that you, that you see, not from the manufacturer standpoint, but from the retail partners, since you are so well engaged, since your team is so well engaged with your partners, as you've, as we've talked about numerous times, I mean, what's the ex, what's the realistic expectation uh, that you feel will be in terms of attendance, in terms of, you know, um, you know, exuberance and, and enthusiasm, what do you expect to see? I think um, I think people are going to be really excited to come back together as an industry. Um, I think uh, a lot of accounts are looking forward to it. Um, I'm sure, you know, I think there's a joke that it, it, within the industry that the only reason companies attend the trade show is to complain about attendance at the trade show. <laughs> and uh, it feels that it feels that way a lot of times. Um, and you know what? It, there's a absolutely a place for us to push back and make sure that the show is well attended because of how expensive it is for us and things like that. But I can promise you that there's nobody nobody wants the trade show to be well attended more than PCA. So they're going to be so they're going to be putting uh, and they already have in a full court press on making sure that it's well attended and everyone has the information they need. Excuse me, um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think I think people are going to be excited to get the industry back together again, and to do all the trade show activities, but also to do all the non-trade show activities, the drinking, smoking, cavorting that uh, that make the trade show special. So um, I, I think everyone's going to be uh, be engaged to get back to it. And are there going to be some people that probably choose not to attend? Yeah, but we we don't know why and. You know, there still is a pandemic still going on. There is, they have a hard one thing being able to smoke at the trade show and on the trade show floor, um, which could have very well not happened, you know? So um, there, there were a lot of factors that this trade show has been able to accomplish that were variables that really would have determined the success. And I think almost everything landed the trade show's way. So, yeah, yeah, I think... Uh, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be good. Well, on that note, Jared, I just have one last, actually I have two last questions for you. And I, I can uh, t uh, really, really appreciate the last couple of hours uh, that you've put in uh, with this conversation, uh, technical difficulties, notwithstanding and everything on my end, I appreciate you uh, bearing with me, but uh, um, really uh, just, uh, I know that Sundays are family time. I say this to all my guests every week. I know that Sundays are family time and uh, for you to step away from, uh, from your fiance, 
uh, for a couple hours to sit down and have a conversation with me and share with my audience, um, you know, what's going on with Christoph and everything and, and, and in your own life, I, I, it means the world to me. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, that being said, um, you know, just one of the things that I thought was a, a, among many things, but I, I thought the, from a, from a business point of view, one of the things that I, that makes the trade show so successful is the, the business and the relationship piece, the relationship specifically. And that's what you guys focus on. And a lot of this relationship stuff goes beyond the trade show floor, you know, the dinners and so forth and everything. But one of the efforts that I really thought about the PCA, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it from a Jared Trudeau perspective, but also from a Christoph point of view too, is I love that the fact that they are, they are hosting an after hours on the trade show kind of bar area um, where, you know, manufacturers and retailers can get together and uh, conduct business as they would have, you know, year, in years past at these dinners and stuff that they may not be able to because of COVID. Um, what did you think of, uh, of that move and, uh, and, and, and what, how, did, how did Christoph respond to it as well? Um, I, I think it was a good move. I think it's something we, we did already. Uh, you know, we all kind of, everybody always ends up aggregating in the same places every year. So I think we kind of did it to some extent already. Um, but I, I think it's a good idea to have it formalized and, and have it be an industry sanctioned thing. Um, and I think it was a good idea for PCA to do. I think it's probably a long time coming that they have some sort of sponsored after party. Um, so we'll definitely be I'll have, I'm sure my reps will end up there. I'm sure I'll end up there. I'm sure, you know, everybody will end up there at some point. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's a long time coming. That's wonderful. I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, to, to, to come into y'all's booth, uh, to chatting with you and Glenn and, 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 uh, and uh, covering Kristoff as uh, as we've done every single year, and uh, really excited that you guys will be returning. So this is uh, this uh, this last question will conclude our show for the evening. And this is of course is our our as always is our curveball question, which is brought to you by Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust, the Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust curveball segment. Fastballs or curveballs doesn't matter since the company's inception. Steve Sock has been knocking them out of the park. Uh, six count them up six consecutive years in the consensus top three. Yep, I looked it up. And I actually even got fact-checked uh, by my good friend and partner on Scar Crew Primetime Special Edition, Mr. William Cooper. Six consecutive years. So here's the curveball question for you, Jared. You've been in management for a number of years, not just in, and not just at Christoph, but in years prior to that. So from a management perspective, from a leadership perspective, wanted to get your thoughts on this. What's scarier, firing someone or hiring someone? And I have a little bit of an anecdote to go along with this, because firing someone sometimes you're you're getting rid of uh, you know the squeaky wheel, the weaker chain, whatever metaphor you want to throw at it, but you're also giving up a known quantity. But you're also gaining an unknown quantity with firing some with hiring somebody new, so it's got to be scary to a certain degree. And maybe that's an extreme word. You probably have a different perspective on it. But I wanted to hear your thoughts. What's scarier? Hiring or firing somebody to join the ranks? And this could be Christoph related, could be any experience related. I, I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Um, for me, it's uh, it's like a super easy uh, call for me, which is uh, the, the scarier prospect is hiring somebody. Um, it's 
Glenn and I, uh, Glenn put his, his life on the line here to uh, start a business 15 years ago. And he's tasked me and Ward and my salespeople um, and my team to, with uh, kind of shepherding it the right way and continue to grow it and not counterfeiting all of the grace that he's built over those years. Um, and so when the prospect arises of us firing somebody, uh, very often it's for, it's, it's to protect that. It's to make sure that our customers are getting the service that they need. It's uh, to make sure that they're, they feel good about doing business with us because of how hard we've worked to get to a position where we can even walk in their door. Um, you know, there was a time not so long ago when I was the only uh, in-house rep that worked for the company, you know, so uh, for us to now have, you know, nine people across the United States that are walking in with our name on their business cards and with us helping, you know, provide for them and their families. We certainly don't want those people walking in and saying our name, leaving the account feeling like we did them the wrong way or we're not providing some level of service they expect. And so firing people is, is, I mean, it's not easy, but when it gets there, it is easy. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it has to be done. It's based, it's based on feedback from the sales or from the accounts in that territory, from other sales reps in that territory, from our sales reps, from personal anecdotes and stuff, and based on the numbers. Um, all things that communicate to me that that person isn't adding value in that territory. So that's a pretty easy business decision for me to make. But for as far as hiring people, that's where I get scared because, you, you know, we're going to invest potentially a year at a minimum in this person in terms of ongoing training, traveling with them, introducing them to all of the accounts in that territory. And if they leave, if they can't handle it, if I pick the wrong person and they just can't handle the job, then I look, then I look back and think like, what did this person do to sell me this bag that I'm now holding? You know, like it's, that's a much scarier proposition for me because all things being equal as a, as a manager and, as an executive, if you, if you're hiring somebody for a real job, um, that represents your brand and represents you at the end of the day, you know, Glenn doesn't call me and ask how bears do Glenn calls me and asks how Kristoff is doing, you know, and if, and if, and if one person is dragging it down or not doing well, that's on me. I, maybe they don't have the training they need. Maybe I didn't coach the right gap for them you know, between their, what the skills they had and the skills they needed. They, oftentimes it falls on me because I, I don't hire bad people, you know? So um, that's a much scarier prospect for me. If I do my, all things being equal, if I do my job correctly, I really only have to do my job once, which is hiring the right person. And then it all stems from that. If I can hire the right person for the right territory and then just give them the right training or they ask for the right stuff, uh, I did my job right if I do that one thing. But if uh, firing people, I uh, that's that's an easy decision um, if if they're not adding value and if our customers aren't happy. Uh, but hiring people, that's on me. So that's that's a little more difficult. Yeah, I, I had a feeling that that's what you would say. But I was I was just interested from you know you you've been a leader for so many years. I was just interested to hear your perspective on this. Um, one one last note here. One of the things I am looking forward to this year's trade show and seeing you all there, is to be able to go into your booth. And this is something I wasn't able to do in 2020, 
And as my audience knows, and as Glenn knows, when he was my guest last year, uh, the 2019 Los Fubar Takes number one cigar of the year was a Christoph cigar. It was the Christoph Vengeance uh, Perfecto. And uh, I didn't get to smoke it tonight because I was really enjoying this JT signature that you gifted me two years ago. And uh, But Christoph was my number one cigar in 2019. So one of the things I'm really looking forward to is uh, being able to sit down with you and actually present you with uh, this with the certificate of, of the number one cigar of the year in 2019. And uh, that'll be a that'll be a fun moment. My a lot of my wife asked me. She's like, "Well, why don't you just send it to them?" And I was like, "No, I I, I really I really want to hand it to them. Um, you know, it may may be a small gesture on their part, but it's a it's a it's 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 it means a it means a lot to me to be able to hand it to you. And I'm 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 thrilled that I get to do it this year. So I'm I'm so thank you for attending so that I could so that I could do that. And uh, I'm I'm so appreciative to you for that. So thank you. Um, that will uh, that will wrap up tonight's show. I'm really excited for all of you guys who got to tune in tonight, and uh, I really appreciate everyone's likes, shares, and comments. Uh, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube page, which is Los Fumar. Uh, you can also check out our Facebook page, Los Fumar. Be sure you hit the like button too. You can check out our calendar of upcoming events and guests, and uh, we'll be uh, we've got some great shows lined up leading up to the trade show. Uh, it's just getting kind of kicked off and started here with Jared tonight. We wanted to talk a little bit more PCA, and we did, and we're really excited that. Christoph's going to be there for 2021's PCA trade show. Um, but there's going to be some awesome shows coming up in the next couple of weeks. You definitely don't want to miss it. So uh, st stay tuned to the Facebook page for, uh, for upcoming guests as well. If you are listening to us, wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, or iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts, be sure you download, subscribe, and hit the review button. Uh, if you already are a subscriber, please do me a favor, unsubscribe, but please, please, please don't forget to resubscribe. That really helps my numbers and helps me continue to get great guests like Jared uh, Trudeau of Christoph Cigars tonight. So I really want to thank everyone out there for all your likes, shares, and comments tonight. This was one amazing take. Really thank you so much for everyone from the bottom of my heart. This was our 170th take. Live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Euless, Texas. I'm your host, Barry Duplissy. And guess what, everyone? We'll see you next time.